All right, would you be brave enough to let the world listen in as you and your friends sit around and talk at a bar? Probably not a good idea, but I don't know. We're seeing some shit we ain't never seen before, kid. Friday night and we're in fucking Queens. Isn't it about time for somebody's favorite radio program? Live in the garage. Uh, I can't do it. I can't do a radio show. Will you please play the old sport song? My goal in life is to like break out of prison and open for Van Halen. There's a fridge full of this Welch's grape soda if anybody wants some. When I'm not picking on my gut, I'm listening to that from the club. Midwest, fucking Europe, I don't give a fuck. Get the fuck out. This is my show. I said, oh. R-I-A-M, that's my name from the other end. Hey everybody, this is Killing a Neutron. No, you just suck on it. Fuck the audience. Like, what's your favorite radio station? Live from the Barrage. Like a cycle logs into this shit. <laughs> Don't drink Seagram's Escapes. One pound feet! It's gonna ever keep me down. Live from the Barrage. I saw The Grateful Dead twice. You are listening to Live from the Barrage. For some reason this reminds me of when Slim Goodbody came to my school. You are full of shit. Let me do my show for Christ's sake! I Makes sense to me. <laughs> What's wrong with you people? John Hulan, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Hey, everybody. We're back live from the Barrage. Thanks for joining us. As usual, every Friday night, right here on Radio Nope, um, immediately following Tree Void's preemptive strike. The squeal is way loud, right, this week? It's not too bad. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Trevoy. Thank you, Preemptive Strike. Thank you, Kona Neutron. Thank you, Radio Nope. Thank you, everyone who's listening here in the chat box and who's listening there at home and not in the chat box. We are happy to be back live from the Barrage, and I'm here with uh, the full cast and crew. It's actually... (laughs) (laughs) Who's here? It's just me and Pat. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We're going duo. We fired everybody else. We're going duo. Everyone's fired. Um, I have explanations for everyone. We're going to be playing the Patrick game later. The Patrick game, the Patrick news, the the, uh, John Hulham. And uh, I don't know sound bites. The um, I have a, I, I I can explain everyone's whereabouts. Actually, if you give me a second, uh, Pat's here. I'm here. Ryan uh, cannot explain his whereabouts. <laughs> I heard he was going to be on time. I have no idea. Uh, Mario is. It's Mario's wife's birthday. Happy birthday, Elaine too. She uh, Mario's cleaning the house while she's out getting drunk, and he will be here as soon as possible. Tommy Rockstar, we all know where he is, which is wherever, you know, he's late. <laughs> and it, it, do me a favor, lay, lay off the guy. The guy's having a nervous breakdown on the air every week. <laughs> lay off him for a little while. He's, he, you know, I mean, it's so, it's so easy to break his ball. So the guy's fucking dying. He's dying. He's dying. <laughs> and, Never. <laughs> uh, he came in last week. He was having a panic attack before he, uh, he even sat down. This guy didn't keep him up for two days. <laughs> That was not my fault. And the best of all is Brian Musikoff, who, who is a bar, a bartender, a forty three year old man, you know, a a guy who should know what to do. <laughs> Pulls the biggest rookie move of all time and gets completely whacked on St. Patrick's Day, and is too sick to come in today. <laughs> I mean, for fuck's sake, he's a bartender. He make he, your job is to make fun of those people. Music off. I didn't even go out yesterday. I did not have a drop. The mm-hmm. professionals stay home. You know. <laughs> I knew we had a big show coming up, a John. Big show. 
I sat on my couch and watched the. Uh, I watched the the the. Uh, I watched. You know what I was watching? I was watching this show called like Barnyard Builders or some shit. Do you what? ever see that? No. <laughs> These idiots like take down an old barn and like they they take the old beams and they they make like you know uh, you know uh, keystone dovetails out of them and shit uh-huh. and they just build like this shell of a barn. And every barn looks exactly the same. I guess somebody else, another crew, comes in and finishes it. But you never see it finished. It's just like a bunch of beeps, like old beeps. What is this? I, I don't know. I watched three fucking episodes of this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love you sat through three episodes just to make sure, like, by the third. Maybe, right. Maybe they'll finish one right. this time. Exactly. Bar- uh. Barnyard builders or some crap. It's a bunch of hillbillies from West Virginia, and they're running around building these barns with no nails and stuff, you know? <laughs> but there's no end product. It's just a bunch of, like, fucking beams. And they never build, like, the walls or the doors or anything or the windows or the roof. <laughs> it's basically a, like seven guys get together and put a bunch of beams in a square. Yeah, exactly. We're going to build a vintage carport. <laughs> it's great. I thought Music Off was going to come in with a bunch of... Uh, uh, what do you call those McDonald's green shakes? And poured Jameson into him. He oh, had all the, he had all these big plants. Oh, I couldn't handle that right now. Imagine getting so drunk on St. Patrick's Day that you have to you're sick and you stay home. Imagine. Imagine. Go Can you figure. imagine? You imagine? Mm-hmm. I can't believe I have to constantly refresh. Oh. The and I have the flu when I'm here box. for crying out loud. <laughs> is he call, is he calling me a meanie? In the chat box, like, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> Have you heard the show, sir? You think I was going to go on the air and be like, hey, uh, Musicoff's not feeling so well. Let's move on with the show. <laughs> Get well soon. <laughs> I'm going to send up some flowers when we is go any, on break. Has anyone who's on this show ever listened to it? <laughs> <laughs> we should go easy on him, John. <laughs> yeah, let's go easy on Brian O. Musicoff, <laughs> the Irish Jew. <laughs> <laughs> Brian music off. Hey, this is what he's listening to right now while he's throwing up in a bedpan. A compound bucket next to the so bed. I called the wife and I said to her, Will you kindly tell to me? Oh, we have a phone call. Horse outside the door yes, Brian music off. You're on the air. <laughs> Hold on a second. I got to turn this garbage off. Go ahead. What are you doing? <laughs> Not the man. How you doing? How you feeling? It's me. I'm, uh, hang on one second. Yeah? <laughs> 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 what are you doing? Not the man. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what happened? Uh, Brian, can you hear lepre- me? What happened? Leprechauns, leprechauns are real. What happened last night? Where'd you go? Uh, take take us through your night quickly. Like, uh, did you start off in Hoboken, then you went to the city, or you stayed in one spot, or you did a bar crawl, or what, what happened? Finnegan's, Foley's, McGovern's, <laughs> McSorley's, McBride's. Um, you don't go to McBride's. McCarthy's. Right. Stephen McCall's. <laughs> Mulligan's. McFadden's. Rams. Did you go to Vito and Vinny? O'Neal's. O'Brien's. Um, O'Flaherty's. Did you end up O'Connor's, at McFadden's at City Field? <laughs> O'Henry's. <laughs> O'Susanna's. Right. Um, Patio Furniture. Go Dooley's. Dooley. All the Shannons. Shannon Rose, no, Shannon Tavern, Shannon right. Ann. Uh, Murphy's, O'Reilly's, Quinn's, Quinn's. Right. Uh, where, where did you guys do for St. Patrick's Day? I sat on my couch and watched hockey. 
Like All a right, true Irishman. I did the same. <laughs> responsible. So, uh, well, I figured I needed a night off, and what better night to take off than the biggest drinking night? In, 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 yeah, it's so. pretty, pretty good. Um, Which hang on, uh, hang on one second here. Oh, God, it's better. He's doing shtick. I know. Uh, Brian, as a uh, as a bartender, uh, what is the worst night of the year, St. Patty's Day or the day before Thanksgiving? Um, well, where I bartend in Hoboken, we have a uh, like a fake St. Patrick's Day. They, they call it the Leprechaun. Oh, like C O N con, and that happens supposed to first call it, Saturday. You're supposed to call March. It? That sucks. I thought that was. I thought that was. I thought that was a convention for lepers. Oh, it's called St. Practice Day. Everybody knows that. That sucks. But the actual St. Patrick's Day, where I, I stayed in Hoboken, the actual St. Patrick's Day is a pleasure. It's great. Everyone uh, either goes to the city or you guys made a huge not, mistake. Uh, it's not so far across. This is the actual St. Patrick's Day because we're here on the barrage drinking, and we have the author of the replacements book. If there's not an excuse to drink, I don't know what what is. <laughs> That's why I can't I, wait. I'm ashamed of myself. I'm calling. I'm calling. Cause I'm ashamed of myself. No, you don't be ashamed. When have I ever called in sick? I'm so unwell. Listen, but, the, uh, I'm looking forward to the interview tonight, and I'm uh, I'll let you guys get on with the show. The guy comes here from New Jersey every night. From New Jersey, I do. To every be on night, the show. I do. Every night, even the nights where there's no show. Uh, absolutely, Ryan. You're right. Up. Monday to Monday through Friday, he's here <laughs> on the weekends. It's fucking raining. I wake up, he's eating pizza in the kitchen with Mario. <laughs> Listen, I just couldn't stomach the Long Island Railroad today. I just couldn't do it. I understand. Couldn't do it. Oh, it's my God. Good. I was on the railroad, and the guy made it. He was making these funny announcements. You know, it was St. Patrick's Day, technically, because, uh, you know, I got on the railroad. Uh, they changed my railroad to 1154. So again, the 1154 train, he makes an announcement, no alcoholic beverages on St. Patrick's Day, which starts at 12.01. And I got like a full beer. I'm like, shit, I have to suck this down or something. And when he said it, I like kind of panicked and spilled the beer all over my seat and my ass and everything. <laughs> I wasn't even drunk. It was the first beer I had all night. I'm like, oh, man. So here comes this leprechaun-looking uh, Long Island Railroad conductor, and he's like, you're good, you're good. And he skipped down the aisle and just let everyone have a free ride. It was fucking great. He's doing railroad skit? <laughs> he was doing rails. <laughs> it was fantastic. I like the funny announcements. You know, the Long Island Railroad uh, brass, the old management, the bosses, the bigwigs up there, they get pissed off when people make yeah. funny announcements, you know. God forbid you be human about it. Yeah. Well, every time I'm on... The railroad coming to Barrage every Friday. They always, without fail, when we pass the Murray Hill station, yes. he always says, "You're gonna love it in Murray Hill." Oh, really? Oh, you got yeah. the you got the same crew then. That must be one dude. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna love it in Murray Hill. He must be from Murray Hill. <laughs> Shame Stadium. Shame Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But, that guy. But, but it was a lot of fun. So, uh, right. That was my St. Looking Patrick's forward day. to this interview. Wish I could be there. You guys have a great show. I'm all ears and uh, all right, I'm man. Fighting people Thanks, in the chat. Man. All right, see you guys. Stay hydrated. Yeah. Keep yeah, lo- lots of liquid, lots of liquids so you can throw it right okay. back up in your apartment. Feel better, Music Coffin. If you don't feel <laughs> Thank good you. next, next, next if you Friday, if you, you don't feel good next Friday, don't, don't come in then either. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> if, you, if you feel okay, come in. I'm going to show up sick just to spite you. All right. <laughs> All right, thanks, Brian. Bye. All right, feel better, buddy. There's Brian Musicoff from New Jersey calling in. I miss him. He's a little sick. Tommy Rockstar is here. Ryan Collison is here now. And uh, we've got the full crew. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy, just uh, I don't know which mic. Let me make sure. 
Tommy's Tommy got a little cool. bit of a Jim Morrison thing going on tonight. <laughs> I'm feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> How's it going, How's Tommy? it going, guys? How you Tommy doing? Tommy in a hat and sunglasses. got a celebrity kind of look going yeah. Like a celebrity who doesn't want to be noticed. Some look. incognitos. <laughs> How's it um, going, Tommy? Good to see you. Good. Good to see you guys, too. Actually, a fun fact. I got pulled over on the way over here. No way. Yeah. On the LIEs? Right before I got in the LIEs in Sunnyside. Ah. Oof. I didn't know if you were coming from Long Island or Brooklyn's. No. And the reason I got pulled over is because I was um, <clears throat> supposedly texting and driving. <laughs> <laughs> but instead you were... But the irony is, is I was actually texting you to let you know that I was going to be on time, but because I got pulled over, I was late. <laughs> no wonder I got a text that was like, hey, man, I'm going to be... Why don't, you use, why don't you use Hey Siri? I know. <laughs> my friend over there. It's fucked up. The guy the guy comes over and he's like, uh, I saw you with the phone in your hand. Right. So, <laughs> and I was I saw like, you with your dick in your hand. Why don't you tell her walking? I was like, no, I, just, I was just picking it up to look at it. And he's like, no, you were texting. I'm like, I wasn't texting. And he's like, you were. And then he's like, because I could tell because the screen was so bright, it was reflecting off your face. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. So he, he comes back like 15 minutes later, totally oh. blew me up my spot up of being on time. And then he's like, Here, here's a, a ticket. He, he didn't come back and was like, I'm Facebook friends with you. Look, I see your <laughs> post. Ah. He comes back and he's like, hey, so I got you a ticket for uh, having an electronic portable device. He's like, that's different from a cell phone, so I'm not sure if it's got points on it or not. Oh, he's yeah. not sure. He's isn't, wait. He's an officer, an agent of the government who's handing you a punishment. He doesn't know. He's what a law it officer. He yeah. should know these things. <laughs> nice. But you know what? Good. Good for you. Yeah. Good for me. That's that's what you get. Exactly. No, but he, I see. How much? Every, what, how much is the ticket? Every day. I, uh, I don't know. Like right price here. on it. I'm going mean, to guess one sixty-five. Let me see that ticket. No, it cannot be that high. Come on. Parking like tickets are one fifteen right? in this city. Don't give it a pat because he's going to read my real last name here. By yeah. the way, Fudd called me today, yeah. and as I was talking to him, he goes, oh, do me a favor. Out of, yeah. out of the blue, out of nowhere, apologize to Tommy Rockstar for, for me. What? I go, for what? What do you mean? He goes, I kind of lit into him. I blew him up because he followed me when I was inside. I was getting a drink or something. He does it to me every week. He goes, and I, it was like so out of character. He goes, I feel bad. He goes, you know, the guy doesn't know me how I am, and I just break everyone's balls, and I feel bad that I lit into him. I Holy see shit. The, so uh, Fudd is apologizing to you officially. Oh, you know this it. guy for like eight years already. <laughs> you don't realize it, but it's that's how long you've known him. Use of, here, I'm reading the ticket. Use of portable electronic device while in motion. <laughs> Greenpoint and Jewel Street. And uh, I'm looking for the. Well, actually, it's Greenpoint. Yeah, it's right. It's looking for the uh, ticket. It actually says Thomas G. Rockstar right on it. Uh, and he I... even put the umlauts. Good man. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like I gotta I gotta mail this one in and find out what my. Fee oh is. wow, you don't even know what it is. Yeah, it's one of those. Jobbies. It doesn't even say. It doesn't say on the back. Let's look at the fines. Uh, Seatbelt fifty bucks. Make an right. appearance. Cell phone texting fifty bucks. Okay. Disobey traffic control device fifty bucks. All right. Equipment forty. Equipment. That's like brake light. Most of the violations fifty bucks. I think you're only in for fifty bucks. Oh, about that's it. not bad. Yeah. Do you get points though? That's what I. That's wanted. what I asked the person. That's where you get. Yeah. Bent over. It's weird that he didn't write just write cell phone texting and he wrote use of a portal. portal he, he looked device. at me wink wink and was like I just did you a favor as in like that's less of a charge. Oh than a really? Cell phone. Oh yeah, so yeah. If, it was, if a yeah. cell phone's fifty, you, you're you're in good shape. Yeah. I don't care about the money. I care about the points because then it affects your yeah, insurance. Of course. Yeah. Do I fight? Only, all only that had a computer shit. we could look this up. My guy, that Google thing. So on the back of the ticket. The funniest Great. part is at the end, he's like, yeah, so next time just lower your brightness. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, no, I, I didn't even mean to have a phone oh, in my your hand. Your brightness is lowered already. <laughs> and he's like, no, nah, don't worry about it. You can, you can use your phone. Just don't make it so bright. Like, what the I fuck is that? I should say you that know? Bob Mayer is calling in. Bob Mayer? 
is uh, is the author of uh, Trouble Boys, the new replacements book. He will be calling in at 9 p.m. So if you're tuning in now and don't want to hear about Tommy's ticket, I guess you know you can go J.O. for half an hour and come back. Right? Very excited about this guest, oh, by man, the way. Oh, man, me too. I've been listening to replacements and drinking for the last two hours. Oh, yeah. I hope it doesn't show in my voice because I'm excited. It's great. I'm all 15 pages into that 450-page book. It's a, well, if, if you buy it on the phone, it's like uh, 1,500 pages. Uh, here he is calling in now. <laughs> Call you on the air. Hey, guys. It's uh, Rob from Waxier here. Hey, Rob. Hey. What's going on, man? Oh, not much. How are you guys doing? Good. Excellent. Who's there with you? Uh, it's me, Tommy, Pat, and Ryan. All right. Hello, fellas. What's up, Rob? Hey, uh, what's up, Rob? I, I called because, well, a couple things. Uh, I've been listening today to the uh, the episode, the last episode, the, the election special. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you guys... Uh, again, brought up the hiding in the bathroom on the train thing. That's a classic yes. John movie. And, yes. Yeah, and I, I've been thinking about this. Had my friend Amy from high school, because I went to high school in New York for one year, right? She always used to pull this scam where she would buy the handicap ticket for a dollar. Right. And then pretend to be mentally handicapped on the train when the conductor came. You should try that for the World Series. It works just the same. <laughs> so she would actually that, ha- pretend to be uh, you know, mentally disabled when the conductor came by. Oh, she would literally just go, and she would do this. She told us what she could do. The conductor would come up. She also had, like, big, thick glasses that were, like, her real glasses. She kind of looked like Tina from Bob's Burgers. Right. And the conductor would look at her funny, and she would just go, Thank you. And that was it. And that worked. I think she's been doing this for 15 years. Well, now at, we're at the point now where you could just buy the handicap ticket and, like, you don't have to, pr- I don't have to prove myself to the conductor. You How does he know it? Broken leg? Is it fucking Dr. Conductor? Get the fuck out of here. It's not your job to decide who. Dr. Conductor! <laughs> this next one's called Dr. Conductor! I am handicapped. I'm psychotic. Well, like, fuck the MTA. <laughs> I like the the placard that uh, Joe Piscopo puts in the car, and Johnny Dangerously has a. It's blue and white, but it has the guy with like his going like putting a yeah. finger to his head with the crazy. swirly motion. <laughs> that was a big '80s thing, the swirly motion. Head. I mean, what conductor who values his job is going to stop and go? I don't think you're mentally handicapped no, enough. But if you get busted, I mean, I, it sucks. that was the brilliance of the plan in my mind. Was that, like, what? Who's going to have the balls to call you on it? Like, it seems like a flawless system, other than the fact that it's insensitive to people who actually have those disabilities, but it seemed like a pretty good steez to me to, like, be scamming the MTA for, you know, 15 years on $1 tickets from Westchester into the city, you know? It's funny you mention that, because I have a similar... uh, This guy I used to go to high school with, his name was Marty Munch. He was what a like, name. Oh, my God. Marty Munch, this guy was a character. He had his giant head, and he was just like, I don't know what he was doing. So he would get on the, there was a handicap elevator in my high school, and he would pretend to also be disabled as he's on the helicopter. On the helicopter. <laughs> What's a helicopter? Helicopter! <laughs> Holy shit, Jay. It's a fucking helicopter, bro. The elevator. So he could take the elevator like two floors up, and he would do oh. the whole thing like Donald Trump with the arm, you know? It was horrible. Horrible. Fuck you, Marty Munch. So he, You're an evil person. So he basically pulled he pulled the old like Homer Simpson park across two handicap spots and then just drag his leg into the quickie mart. Or <laughs> one of those. Of, that cor- move? of course Musikoff knows Marty Munch because you know everybody. <laughs> Does I, he really? I, well, he says, I mean, how many Marty Munches could there be? 
<laughs> Classic. Is that his real name, Marty Munch? Yeah, that was his real name, Marty Munch. He was he was something else. Musicoff also posting a picture of the Long Island Railroad bathroom last night, which is just the toilet is filled with things, and there's Bud Lights in every crevice of the entire bath uh, restroom. It's horrible. Is that where his hell started in that bathroom? <laughs> he he know, made that man. mess too, by the way. Maybe it's the MTA train, like uh, when he goes to New Jersey. I don't know. I don't know what goes on in public New Jersey transit. All, all I know is I've taken the game to a Giants game like two times, and it was not fun. Thanks. Does a guy in like a uh, does a guy in like a uh, a greased up work shirt have to run out of the shadows and uh, work the uh, the ticket buying machine for you in Jersey too? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sir, 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 you're not allowed to buy your own tickets, sir. They could easily. Like when I walk up to the platform, does it ding? There's like a ding, and a guy comes out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, excellent. You know, I don't want to get in trouble with those guys, you know. <laughs> you know, the Long Island Railroad could easily modernize and eliminate like thousands of jobs. <laughs> Just like be like the subway and swipe in, but I guess they have to see when you get off. Sure, they, they, sure they have a pretty strong union. This uh, Latino gentleman in front of me the other night had a great scam where he just pretended to not know anything and pretended to be drunk. And, and he's like, uh, where are you going? And he's like, ah, the cops took my wallet. And like, the cops took it. Yeah, the cops took my wallet. So, like, where are you going? And he's like, ah, I'm going to Penn Station. We're leaving Penn Station, by the way. The train has now left, and we're, like, two minutes into the trip away from Penn Station. I'm going to Penn Station. Well, you were already at Penn Station. You have to get off at Woodside and turn around. Ah, the cops took my wallet. Woodside comes around. He totally pretends to be asleep. He fucking, you know, he got a free ride. He's he going out to Montauk. He knew what he was doing the whole time. And fuck everybody. Fuck the Long Island Railroad and their bullshit surcharge. I say power to the people, and everyone take a free ride. Sure, down the line, they'll just raise the prices and screw us all. <laughs> <laughs> Barely works as is. It's like the people, like, you think you, like, you're screwing McDonald's when you're a kid, like, stealing all the straws or something. <laughs> you know, to just we, used to, uh, we used to go to, like, Burger King when I was in high school in New York and steal trays and put a bunch of trays in the back of our cars. And then when it would snow, we would go to Big Hills and, like, put one tray under each foot yeah. and just, like, tray <laughs> ski down the Big Hills. Nice. That's that's a recipe for a pulled groin, my friend. You need to go one tray and ass it up. Yeah, well, I mean, we were stupid. I mean, that's, I think, the, the takeaway here is that this is the same group of friends that was pretending to be retarded on the train. Right. So, like... <laughs> Next thing you know, you know, you're on the train. You're like, listen, I know I don't look retarded, but uh, here's a video of me um, sk going down a, a ski slope uh, trying to ski on two McDonald's trays. So it's you know, a prank, bro. Uh, it's know, just a prank. Here's, I have video proof in this digital age that I'm mentally disabled. We say, yeah, like look at this, look at this dumb bullshit I'm doing. I mean, just <laughs> me uh, drinking a forty ounce. Uh, this is a forty ounce Smirnoff ice. Yeah, I'm, guys, I'm definitely mentally handicapped. Right. Here. Uh, oh. It's like the movie Catch-22, but on the Long Island Railroad. Rob, what's going on in Kentucky, man? What's going on over we there? say hello also to Heavy Metal Chris on the chat box. What's up, Heavy Metal? Uh, hi, Heavy Metal Chris. Uh, what's going on in Kentucky? Uh, not a ton. Uh, working at the high school. Uh, struggling every day not to punch a child in the brain. Uh, we've <laughs> it's, had, it's hard to you know, do from your car outside the school. Some shows on the road, and uh, I, I bought this house, so I'm just constantly in fear that something's going to break. I can't afford to fix. Are you you you're 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 a homeowner? Uh, yes, I am. Oh man, when what's a house cost? I had actually Kentucky. I just I had closed on the house a week before I came out to New York and was uh, live in studio with you guys. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Oh right, right, yeah, yeah. So did we ask yeah. you that? What is a house cost in Kentucky? Like what, like five bucks or something? <laughs> 
Uh, it was a hundred and sixty thousand. How many bedrooms? For twenty five hundred square feet. One hundred and sixty. How many 000. bedrooms is that? Bedrooms. It is seventy seven bedrooms. <laughs> it's the Overlook Hotel. Three bedrooms, uh, two and a half bath, and then a finished room in the basement. It's not quite a bedroom, but like it could be. And what, what's your basement plan? You putting like a, some uh, wacky, goofy Stunod studio down there or something? No, it's the ceilings are a little low for to finish the whole thing. So it's basically the whole thing is Kelly's uh, uh, art space. My lady friend who was there in the studio after hours to watch me scream at people over poker. Right. Uh, Don't worry. That'll be she, that'll be a sewing room in two years. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I'm saying is it's her art studio now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, good she sews on the couch. So <laughs> I don't know. When, when I was a kid, like my mom wanted a sewing room. I I, I live in the fifties, I think. I'm like, oh, the sewing room. Like my mom went, parlor. There was exactly what I was gonna say. It was yeah. a tiny room in my house that like was which is like where like, uh, there's only room for like a desk and a computer, which I still have, and my mom was like wanted to sew in there. She sewed like one thing and called it a day. Yeah, she did that for about a half an hour, right? <laughs> so this is fucking boring. This is fucking sewing sucks. <laughs> so we go buy my clothes. <laughs> Kelly doesn't like Kelly doesn't like make little house on the prairie dresses. She does like Simpsons needle points and sells it on Etsy and shit. So yeah. I mean, little—it's—it's it's the kind of like old lady version of hipster stuff to do. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like your girlfriend. She's way hot. Uh, yeah, thank you. I'm uh, <laughs> gonna say, can I, we isolate that? Uh, I'm really punching up. You know what I'm saying? I'm punching up. <laughs> well, you're pretty fucking handsome too. You know? Don't sell yourself hey, short. Hey. <laughs> hey, I, I am a tremendous slouch. Yeah, uh, you're a good-looking guy, dude. So why? Okay, uh, it's pretty much the only uh, redeeming quality about me. I appreciate it. You, uh, you have no beer gut. You're you're in shape. You know you, you you're fine. You look, you have the you tattoos. Do, you don't annoy people too much. Ah, well, I wouldn't say that. Well, where's uh? Ah, come on. Where's, hey, it could be a lot worse. It could be me about eight years ago. Trust me, you don't even want to know that guy. Oh yeah, what happened to that dude? Oh, he shot out of a cannon. Were you do, shooting up or something? <laughs> no, I was just kind of more of a shit. I just, you know, you mellow out. Well, you don't mellow out as you get older. You seem to just get angrier. But uh, <laughs> I'm not angry. I, I know. Well, you, you think it well then. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Say that about me. You. I get angry. Fuck you. You get angry. Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't know. I was just kind of more of a shit bag. I'm just an adult now. You know what you're gonna do? Yeah. Um. <laughs> Kazuga saying he loved the sewing room set at PRF Barbecue 2015. I the wax eater set at the te- at the Kentucky Barbecue was one of the best things ever. You guys are incredible. I you know I really appreciate. It. We had that was maybe the most fun I've had uh, playing music for people that I've had in quite a long time. And the, the best part and that was, was like, another thing I called for. I immediately I was literally listening to the last episode uh, when I paused it to call you to just make sure everyone knows that Elliot was shocked at a wax eater show. Damn it. That was our burden. Oh, we did, tried to kill I, him, not Trophy Wives. Oh, did I say it was Trophy Wives? I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, it was a wax uh, I'm sorry. Uh, it was way late in the episode. I assume people had been drinking and yelling at Conan about politics. Listen, I like it. you're yelling at me for my mistake while your friend is dying on stage and you keep singing your Stu Not songs like nothing's going on. <laughs> oh, come on. We did not keep playing. <laughs> You should have. That would have been the most punk rock thing ever if you're, if the bass player died and you just kept going. I mean, hey, it was in our rider, you know, that we have to finish. We weren't going to get paid our uh, $11 off the door. Hey, we, you got to get those five Paps Blue Ribbons somehow. I appreciate it. That, uh, this, this... Five? What fucking, what 
glorious uh, Trump venues you're playing. We get two when we go. <laughs> Yeah. Two domestics. No, it's, it, it is the struggle that, uh, you know, you only get, like, two free beers when you play. You're, fuck this. I'm sick of playing. I have a job. I, I pay for my beer, so I'll drink all the beers I want, and I'll pay for it. That's not the point. Hey, Rob, where's your, uh, boy, where's your boy well, Ward? They're, if they're not paying us money, they should at least be getting us loaded. I mean, come on. What's or, the overhead on the PBRs for these bars? How about this? I have, an, I have a proposition for all the bars or all, all the promoters out there. If I'm in a band... Let me bring my own, a cooler full of my own fucking beer. And if you don't like it, fuck off. You know, I need, you know, what if it's a medical issue? Well, I mean. You're, I'm allowed to bring a bottle of water. We definitely Steven, do a car bar. I, I, Steven Soli drinks a jug of milk every night on stage, I think. Really? A gallon of milk. <laughs> Birthday <laughs> boy, we Steven Soli? We played shows with them in January, that's true. And it was a uh, whole, whole milk. Right. Whole milk, a gallon of whole. You should be able to bring if you're in the band, if and they're not providing you with free beers, or they're giving you two fucking stew not drink tickets, which is bullshit. You should be allowed to bring in your own fucking cans of beer. Who cares? Fuck you. <laughs> now we just it's, drink in the band. Look, if the job. venue's not, if the venue's not cool about it, we always have beers or whiskey in the band. We just go sit in there and hang out. Right. Because the bars that aren't cool about it end up being the fucking bars that nobody comes to. Yeah. So there's nobody to show to hang out with. So we just wait in the van and get our um, road soda on while we wait to have live band practice to four people, you know? Yeah, love road soda. Really takes the itch off. All right. <laughs> very good, Rob. Anything else? Thank you very much for calling in. Can we help you with uh, anything? Yes. Wax Eater of shows coming up? Uh, Wax Eater is playing an all-day thing at a skate park in Louisville coming up. We're playing the barbecue in Chicago this summer, and we're writing a new record. Nice. Uh, but I did want I wanted to leave you on this thought. My phone autocorrected the word students to students oh, this week. Nice. <laughs> you're in deep. But of course. Hey, wait, Which, do, you, do you get confirmation on the barbecue that you're playing? Yeah, why? No, just wondering. <laughs> why, you didn't? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, th- I threw our hat into the ring. I didn't get confirmation. I got an email back. But there so. are... I can tell you off the air, but there are some special circumstances that require Wax Eater to be there this year. I I, should have let Pat do it, because him and Jonah get along good, and Jonah probably (laughs) hates (laughs) What are the circumstances? You're good? (laughs) Yeah, they're good. They are good special circumstances. I'll I'll let you guys know later, but we have to be there. Either way, um, I think we will all be at the barbecue this summer, if anyone's keeping score. Uh, Which is going to be awesome. Are you guys coming back this September or PR Barbecue Louisville 2.0. We're doing it again. I would love to. I, I thought that was one of the best times I had in the past couple of years. Great. Excellent. Love to actually get to talk to Brian for the. But I don't think we talked at all. Fix the air conditioning and we'll be back. Ah. It was 95 degrees there. Uh, it'll get better. And then uh, bring Ryan this time. All right. We'll bring Ryan. I'm in. All right, I'll, uh, you can sleep in our guest bedroom and. Uh, All right, no, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. Oh, I lost him. Oh, I'm getting a five star hotel. hotel. Hey, Rob, uh, call back. <laughs> if, you can, if you can hear my voice, call back. I'm just kidding. Don't sleep call on back. The couch. <laughs> We're back. How live fucking old do you think I am? I was, yeah. Speaking I, speaking of being electrocuted on stage, the uh, the electronica singer Grimes was electrocuted on stage in Dublin. Really? Yeah. Recently? And, uh, yeah. But uh, she had pretty good humor about it. She posted a picture of a uh, Frank Grimes grabbing the electric. <laughs> <laughs> the, the many ways Frank Grimes uh, <laughs> met his demise. <laughs> awesome. I don't have to wear safety gloves because I'm Homer Simpson. <laughs> There's Rob from Wax Eater. Great band. Uh, you know, 
Terrible phone call. Hey, speaking of The Simpsons, did you guys see kidding, uh, friend, friend of the show John Worcester on The Simpsons this past weekend? Indeed. I heard that John Worcester... Uh, might be the dumbest call, call of the year. <laughs> Whoa, calm down, Mike Francis. Um, I heard that, uh, yeah, uh, Best Show was on the... Yeah, and Tom Sharpling. Yeah, there was, they were in a Best Show capacity on The Simpsons. Yeah, it was great. It was uh, amazing. What do you think, Pat? I enjoyed it. Yep. Yeah, really good. You watch the episode, Tom? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I watched it the day after on the Hulus. I did mm. not watch. Oh, really? You could watch Simpsons on Hulu? Yeah, like crazy. They, they That's one of the biggest selling points of Hulu. Huh. Interesting. But, yeah, it was really funny. And um, John actually was telling me that he was going to try and tune in tonight because he's a big fan of Bob's. Ah, there you go. John Worcester, great guy. Um, you know, more, excellent interview. We were worried a little bit that he might do the interview in character or something. Like <laughs> that. He was very forthcoming, and uh, it, it was enjoyable for me. I just listened to that episode the other night, actually. It went really, really well. I like nice. I think they're going on tour. Are they touring, like, as doing Husker Du songs or something? Or maybe they're, no, they're doing Copper Blue, hmm. just the album, the, the Sugar Masterpiece, uh-huh. Copper Blue. They might be doing, I don't know if it's a tour or just a couple one-off gigs or something like that somebody maybe like, somebody will correct me hopefully because i'm not sure what's going on but that's one of my favorite sugar albums of all time uh, or, or you know anything by bob mold that, that album is is a fucking indie rock classic somebody privately me- private messaged me his new album today and while i'm very grateful yes. i feel bad kind of taking it <laughs> yeah you should <laughs> <laughs> buy uh, you know I, i'm pretty sure he goes all vinyl you buy that shit yeah yeah what's wrong with it <laughs> someone like that i really want to Buy it. <laughs> uh, we have Bob Mayer calling in later on. He's the uh, author of the replacement book Trouble Boys. And I was, and when you talk about vinyl, I was listening to uh, "Please to Meet Me" on vinyl today. I threw the headphones. My all my, you know, this is one show I did not have to like look up music for. Right, my, I just I just have everything. But the, it's funny. The only LP I have is "Please to Meet Me," which is coincidentally my favorite replacement album. And playing the the uh, my old I pod thing here what is that the first generation video ipod mm. yep. sounds you know whatever it sounds like and then you play the record and oh my, oh my god on iou tommy stinson is going ass wild <laughs> on the bass and he's i'm like what are, you know this kid's like 20 I, yeah, you know I, I, I know like two notes i realize i wasted my whole life with this bass guitar yeah. <laughs> i know nothing he's going nuts Nuts. And I never heard it. Even in the car, on the radio, I don't hear it. On the tape, I don't hear it. On the CD. I, I plugged the... I'll, I'm going to play you the record, and you're going to hear it. There you go. My God. It's amazing how you start... When you start so early, that the amount that you can learn as a bass player just comes so quick, and by well, and 17, were, 18, you know? They were on the road constantly. I yeah. mean, if he wasn't in school, they were on the road. When right. you're young, your brain is more, uh, what do you call it, malleable? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's mush. Yeah. And you could learn to ride a bike and never forget. And shit yeah, like there that. you go. Yeah. What was he, 13 when he joined? Yeah. 13? Yeah. So what is he on the cover of that book? Probably around 14. Oh, my God. No. So I wanted, yeah. to, I wanted to bring this there up to Bob, right too. The cover of the book, if you look at the cover of this book, Trouble Boys by the Replacements, which Pat is handing me the copy now, it's a quite a uh, hefty tome. Fucking it's Bible. a tome. Uh, Tommy Stinson is like 14, and he looks it, right? Mm-hmm. Bob Stinson looks like he's sailed a thousand ships Ed at looks, this point in his life. It looks like Gallagher. Bob Stinson <laughs> looks like he's wearing a wig and he's 60 years old. And they're probably only like, what, five years apart? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, in, it's in order. Like, I mean, Chris Mars looks young and Paul Westerberg looks like, you know, what he looks like Paul Westerberg. Bob Stinson looks like he had just seen everything in life already. And yep. if you read the, 
beginning chapters of this book, he ha- pretty much has. The book, you know, when it when it starts off, I don't want to give too much away, and I won't, but uh, it's, uh, I think the first, the, the chapters of, about the childhood and leading up to it. And their family histories. It's a hell of a downer, man. I mean, these guys, my kid's 15 now, or will be 15 in two weeks. And I think about the shit that Bob Stinson's went through by the time he was 15. It's an incredible journey of just, you know, abuse and horrible things. Well, how much bass can your kid play? Uh, none. <laughs> <laughs> but he's still alive. Right. So there's that. Bob Stinson died, what, 1993? 97. 97. 35. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Makes crazy. a lot of sense. I, I, you start uh, reading the book. I'm glad that, um, you know, I'm not that far into it, but a couple of, uh, you know, Paul Westerberg being the uh, amazing lyricist he is, a couple of the lyrics like kind of reveal themselves to you as you go. Oh, okay, that's that's what that means. Yeah, this, this uh, is what that means. I remember reading early on about uh, the lyrics and bastards, and it, a lot of that was put together for me just reading the first couple chapters. Right. You know? So, good but. stuff. We look forward to talking to Bob at nine p.m. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Bob will be calling in, and uh, we'll have lots of questions for him about one of our favorite bands. If not, is it, are the replacements your favorite band, Pat? Uh, they're up there. It's hard to pick a favorite. It's hard. I know. It's a dumb question. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, like if you're like, I, I've said a couple times in this show that Ramon's my favorite band. I can't really go back on that. And that's a safe pick. I've been in top but, three. I mean, listening to, listening to the replacements um, tonight, just putting on the albums, putting on this and that, I'm like, man, these guys are fucking got to be number two. Yeah. You know, I never would have heard them if it wasn't for you guys in your garages. I remember being in past well, garages in the all 90s Pat. and listening. Yeah. yeah, it's all Pat. I don't know how Pat heard him. It was your older brother who introduced you? Uh, my my brother's buddy uh, heard them at college. And when he came back from for his for his break, I raided his car for music. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some parallels there, too, between Bob Stinson sitting in his house and uh, just being so focused on guitar. When you read that part of the book, Pat, did you like... Think about that as like how you learn how to play guitar. Like, uh, you know, all right, you're the youngest of how many kids? No one's really paying attention to you. Do you have this laser focus, so you just sit in your bedroom and learn like these crazy riffs over and over again, and just practice like a nut? That was pretty much what I did. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there was just you know, it was you know, there was not. I wasn't into sports or you know, into playing sports or anything like that. You know, I'd like I, I watched sports, but I wasn't playing sports or doing anything like that. So. After school, there was really nothing much for me to do, so I'd just play guitar all the time. Right. It wasn't some kind of crazy dramatic thing where you with withdrawn into yourself, and that's the only way you can communicate with the outside world? No, I just <laughs> I picked it up and... Come on, I picked right? it up and I happened, Yes, Patrick Walls. I happened, I happened to be good at it, and so I just stuck with it, you know, when you're... It's, it's a lot more encouraging if you pick... You know, I, I picked it up and I could play already. Right. Yeah. You know? So, like, you know, once you're once you're good at something, it's. it's I always thought not Pat, hard to be, you just picked I, up the guitar and you could do it already. Yeah, it was, but uh, we, it was a rainy. Jesus. It was a rainy day, and my brother and uh, we were sitting around. My brother pulled his guitar out to show off. I always thought Pat was a good socializer. I met him. I don't know. I met you when you were probably like uh, seventeen, eighteen years old. I think. Where was that, Ryan? Where did you first meet him? Uh, I probably started hanging. It, it must have been uh, at the. Uh, the bar in uh, Whitestone that we all mm-hmm. used to play at. The VV. He only spoke yeah. in, in <clears throat> riffs. Guitar riff. <laughs> yeah, he, he was like an 18-year-old Joe Franklin. Used to, yeah. <laughs> used, to ca- used to carry around a Chiquita and a pig nose. That was how I spoke to people. David, what? Well, let me roll out to the sidewalk and take a look. 
She is beautiful. Talking about you. Yeah, those are the days, man. Hanging yeah, out in Queens. When I met you, you were wearing a Charlie Brown shirt every day. Every time I saw you, you had that on. I remember that shirt. It was a great shirt. It was a great shirt. Those in the board shorts and flip flops. Yep. I remember that. Uh, first time I met you guys was a place called Hollywood in Maine. Oh, yeah. That's where the, the bar they would let us drink when we were like 16. Right. Yeah. And there was a band called the Rejects that were playing. And it was yes. Patrick Walsh, John Houlihan, Mike Howell's hairdo. And um, I think Owen Biggs was in that band at the time. There were, a couple, different, I yeah, there were a couple different lineups. Owen was in. Derek was in. Gallagher was in at some point. Uh, Tom Ventimiglia. Uh, Ross. We were all in the Rejects at some point. And uh, we were very influenced by the replacements, Super Trunk, stuff like that. It was yeah. fun. It was fun. Those are fun days. You're staying in Pat's garage playing NHL 95, listening to Howard Stern, <laughs> smoking pot. <laughs> and now we're 41 and hanging out in the garage playing <laughs> NHL 95. <laughs> the woman in the house is still yelling at you. <laughs> and instead of being the replacements, we finally realized our dream of interviewing a guy who wrote a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be talking to Bob in about 15 minutes. <laughs> Amazing. You can get the book, by the way, if you go to replacementsbook.com. All the um, uh, the uh, options will come up to you there. Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you. Bob is friends with my friend Danielle, who was the producer for the Big Star documentary. And they, I think her and her, her guy, Brian, her husband, are listening in tonight. And I was just thinking maybe one of these days we should get her in. That'd be great. Yeah. I think Bob also wrote some stuff for Big Star, maybe like liner notes in the mm. reissue. I don't know what it's called. We'll ask him when he yeah. calls. We've blown the whole interview already. Ah. I think we've interviewed each other <laughs> without Bob on the line. Crap, not crap. <laughs> Nothing left to cover. <laughs> Mario coming in later. We'll talk about our Pennsylvania trip, which took place on Thursday. Oh, yeah, I'm Friday. dying to hear about that. On Thursday and Friday, that took place. Uh, <laughs> by the way, please go to the iTunes and, and fucking subscribe to it and rate it. For God's sakes, you're killing me. Do it now. Do it right now. Do it now. Do it now. I got my Mets season tickets today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it came in a box. The mailman just threw it in the, on the back. The FedEx guy just, like, tossed it on the deck in the back. I was like, oh, what's this garbage? I picked it up. There was something <laughs> in the box. I thought it was, I re- it was a windy day. I thought it was garbage that blew onto my deck. Fuck you, FedEx. <laughs> You know, hump it. You suck. Dude, check this out. I got a call from the New York Yankees asking me from like a like a private sales agent being like, I'm your inside sales rep, and, uh, you know, I'm here to sell you anything you could possibly need. We, we have the whole season for you and a whole VIP section. We can give you a suite if you want. And basically the reason why is because I bought like a shitty pair of Yankees and Mets tickets on Ticketmaster like in the middle of the night just on a whim, all like in the 400s, all the way up in the nosebleeds. And next thing you know, the fucking Yankees are calling me, being yeah, like... Yeah, they're getting desperate. Yeah, yeah. And that's the fuck is that? Mm-hmm. I didn't even order them from the Yankees directly and shit. No, they got your name. They're probably going to call me, too. They got your number. <laughs> they're on to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why are you calling me? They're trying to get, uh, you know, they're trying to get votes. Mm. Right. Yeah, we got our, uh, we got our, got our playoff tickets today, too, John. Oh, for the Islanders. Yeah. yeah. But if that first round is Islanders-Rangers, that's going to be some serious coin, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the thing. <clears throat> like, uh, opening day tickets come in. I get a 20-game package. Me and my brother split it, right? It was like 450 bucks a piece, less, maybe a little less than that. So that's 20 games. You get opening day with that. 
Snap Brian Musical, I was telling me, standing room only opening day. SRO. It's $130. This is a ticket that's $47 face value. I think you overpaid for that. And so now I'm like, well, I can get like fucking two hundred fifty dollars for my opening day ticket, but I'm not, I'm not selling it. I'm not Mario. I'm not. Uh, I don't agree with this StubHub. I'm, I'm going to the game. You're not going to Mario your tickets. If my brother wants to sell his, he can. I'm going to the game, and uh, I'm, I will not Mario my tickets. What's the opening date next? So Mario goes. Oh, you know they're going to move you into like a, a shitty seat for opening day. And I look, and I'm not, not in a shitty seat. I'm one section. Over one section shittier. It's nothing. It's the same thing. Wait a minute. And I'm in Mario's section. <laughs> He's like, "Where are you sitting?" I'm sitting right fucking in front of you. <laughs> Wait a minute. They don't. If you buy season tickets, you don't get to keep the fucking season tickets that you bought season tickets this, for for opening day. Just that. That's the only game. No. If you buy season tickets, you can. So I have a twenty game plan. So that means other people on different days are sitting in those seats. Right. You understand? Like uh, so. So like higher like, priority packages. If you, if you took like a weekend plan, like Ryan took. Uh, when Ryan's not there, obviously someone else is sitting in those seats. Right. Makes sense. I take so it home the, with me. Actually, if the playoffs do come, you'll probably right end up in a in a shittier seat because yeah. you know whatever. They right. have to, but, but you're I, still in the house. But you got moved oh, yeah. over by at least a whole section, right, for opening day. I got moved over one section. Okay, yeah, because I got moved three rows back. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I'm still in the same section. I'm going from nine to twelve. I've so made a convenient really map. Uh, <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I don't know if I could, <laughs> I could do so this. Everybody knows where I am now. Box. You know where to find me. I'm right in front of uh, Shake Shack. <laughs> Come see me in front of Shake Shack. <laughs> Delicious. You know, uh, those seats were better, and I could have had those seats where you're sitting, but my brother uh, wanted to sit close. And also, I'm sitting right behind, in front of the smoking section. <laughs> uh, well, I'm right near there, too. It's not that far. No, you're not that far. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I'm in Home Run City right there. That's uh, Yes, that that's was a, a f- great... That's a great draw for where I'm That at. was a factor, too. Yeah. Here, I'll I'll, uh, I'll text this picture to Brian Musicoff and see if he could post it in the chat box. A convenient map for you to find all the barrage guys at uh, City Field if you happen to go to the game. Are you near the smoking <laughs> of, section? Of course, I put my face right in the middle because I'm the best. <laughs> Are you near the smoking section? I thought that was already Dicky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm right near the smoking section. Right. Yeah. I don't think I'll watch any of the game. I'll just be smoking. <laughs> I love to smoke. I can't wait to go. It's going to be fun. Yeah, so there's a... Uh, Matt Harvey. Big plan for that day. Well, no, he's not pitching that game. What are you talking about? <laughs> just came out today. He is. He's pitching opening day. That's on right. Sunday. Oh, opening on the, on the road. road. Yeah. Oh, so how many... So, oh, shit. And I don't even know of DeGrom, because DeGrom's going to be having a baby right around that time. Good fucking planning there, Jake. Ugh. You way know? to have sex. Yep. So... Um, yeah, Bartolo Colon got killed today. He got shelled. <laughs> I don't think he cares. Uh, yeah, he doesn't look like he cared one bit. <laughs> <laughs> he showed up like 40 pounds heavier this year, didn't he? Yeah, and he was already 330 pounds. Well, listen, it's the last year. What do you do? Shovel pizza in and call it a day. Who cares? Yeah. Oh, John, you know, I was cleaning my van this week, and I found one of your playoff towels. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Mm. Use it to clean the van? <laughs> <laughs> Wipe the whole thing down. He checked the oil with it, the dipstick. <laughs> Was it from uh, baseball or hockey? There's the there's the map with the uh, music off and standing room. If you look at the chat box right now, if you're listening to it on the podcast, I apologize. But yeah, look how good my seats are. I wanted to sit there. Actually, I wanted to sit on the other side of where you are, Ryan, to, on the field level. That's that's where I wanted to be too. They didn't have anything. Over the best there. is like it's only twenty games, so I'm like, oh, if it rains, you're underneath the canopy. You know, yeah. you're underneath the other seats. But if it rains, the, there's no baseball game, so who gives a fuck? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or you go in the club. I got access to three clubs. 
You got three club I access? Got, I How got, you only got access to one club? <laughs> what are these clubs? A, a cellar. I got really, the, which is the Amtrak thing. I got uh, Fox, Foxwood Train Club. Foxwoods. Club. <laughs> I got the Foxwoods Club, and uh, something else. I can't remember. Like, here's the access to all these great clubs, and uh, beers are still beers are now fifteen dollars instead of ten, and you could sit in inside of a window and not watch the it's, game. It's just a room. That's all it is. It's good if you have kids and you want to get out of the rain or the heat right, for a couple that's minutes. That's what yeah. I'm looking for. They let the kids you, in there. If you take the girls, those <laughs> even when it's kind of warm Baseball outside, kids. it gets fucking cold once you're out. Out there for a couple hours. I also in, decided. In I decided that if we do go to the World Series, remember how much I bitched and moaned about not being able to go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that if it does come down to it, and there's only one game, and I have a ticket to the World Series, I'm going to give it to my son, and my brother could take my son. Why your brother, not you? As a as his father. Well, my brother has half the plan with me. Of course, he's going to oh, okay. want to go to the World Series. But. Well, hopefully, there's a couple rounds, and you guys can switch that off. Yeah, we only get one ticket to each playoff round. Uh, you know, that's what I'm you saying. Guaranteed to buy it, but yeah, I, I, I'd rather. I want to have my. Uh, if we do go to the World Series, I'll let my son go. I thought for I sure you, you should go because you're probably only going to be around for like another ten years. Eh, <laughs> I don't care. When the when the Mets going to win again, my son could you know could live for fifty years and not see it. I thought for sure you'd say Mario would take him and give him the Mario and take your son, and that would be perfect. Mario's going to find a way to wiggle that ticket away from John. I promise yeah. you that. <laughs> Lose it in the poker game. We'll he'll, he'll break he'll, him down. He'll outfox you some way. <laughs> <laughs> He's wily. <laughs> I see right through you, Steve Albini. <laughs> John, how's this Pogues whiskey? Uh, you know, it's drinkable. I hate it. Uh, yeah, all right. I hate it. I like the Pogues, but I don't Cure like your illness. <laughs> Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. How's this fucking hipster single malt? That's good. That's good? Yeah, right. go ahead. The you know what's good, Pat? I feel like shit. What's the matter? He's, he's got flu. the flu. The flu? What kind of flu? The puke flu? The Hong flu? Kong flu. <laughs> <laughs> Hong Kong flu, Louie? <laughs> he's got the Hong Kong flu. He's got the Hong Kong flu, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, John, if uh, the guest is calling at 9 instead of 9.05 and it's 8.50, do you think we should take a break? I think we should. Yeah. Let me play a record. Yeah. Is my record hooked up? Got any replacements? Yeah. Perfect. I'll be back after these words. Stop that. Hi, hi, Bob. How are you? I'm good. I just want to check to see. You. I'm calling a couple minutes early. Does this sound okay, this line? this You sound great, and you're actually on the air now because we uh, are not a professional radio station. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Bob, you sound great, man. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we appreciate it. Hey, it's Bob Mier. Am I pron- pronouncing your name correctly because I'm famous for just botching everybody? That's one short enough even you can't mess up. It's uh, Mayor just like the horse. Mayor, right. <laughs> like John Mayer. No, sorry. Well, not quite like John Mary. I got a few less, a uh, few million dollars less, and a few less ladies, but close. <laughs> I met that guy once. He's <laughs> and got how a, was that experience um, for you? He got mono. He was he was lost like where I work, and he needed to find a place out. And I showed him how to get out. And uh, he's got a big head. That was my experience. That's it. That's he all. does have a huge head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was nice enough. I guess he didn't like punch me or anything. <laughs> I don't, I don't have a John Mayer story. So we were talking to Bob Mayer, M-E-H-R. Thanks for calling in, Bob. Bob wrote a book uh, called Trouble Boys. It's the replacements book. Right. 
And uh, yeah, biography, true story of the replacements. I guess is the official subtitle. But right. uh, and the more the more people I talk to, and believe me, we're all huge huge replacements fans. Like we we know our stuff, Bob. So I hope you know yours. Uh, <laughs> the you know like it's the uh, Pat's read. You know there are a bunch of replacements books out there, and the more I hear from people in the know, is that this is like the replacements book to have. Well, yeah, I had uh, a couple advantages. One, it took me forever to do it, so I had a lot of years to uh, refine it. And then also the main thing being that uh, Paul Westberg and Tommy Stinson and most of uh, the band members and all the key principals in the story were involved with this one as opposed to some of the other things that have been out there. So that was a process in and of itself because they're not the most – outgoing guys and uh, kind of a guarded sort. So it was a couple years just getting up to the starting gate with them, but uh, managed to do it and stuck it out another five, six years as I was uh, researching <laughs> and writing the book. And, you know, it's just out earlier this month and, and doing great. So, so that was one of what I was going to ask you is like, how does one get access to the, you know, uh, Paul Westerberg seems like to me, I don't know if I'm wrong. You can correct me if the kind of guy who would like blow something like that off forever and like just not just kind of laugh well, or almost you're even, not wrong almost even <laughs> almost even like mess with you because he thought it would be funny or you well, know that definitely happened so <laughs> but you're the key to it maybe is persistence and then all of a sudden you're there for six years you're like this guy's still here like, you know yeah, yeah combination of persistence and and good timing i mean basically i had you know, I've been a music critic basically since I was 22, 23, had, and a fan of the band forever. How old are you now? Had, um, 41, just turned 41. Uh, hey, me and, you, me and you both, brother. What's your, oh, when's, nice. your, when's your birthday? Maybe we have the same birthday? March the 6th. Ah. Oh, um, happy uh, recent birthday. I'm February 3rd. I'm exactly uh, one month and three days, uh, or, or one month younger than you. So Yeah, I share I, a one birthday month with uh, Shaquille O'Neal and Ed McMahon, so I'm somewhere <laughs> in between it. <laughs> <laughs> I got nobody on my birthday. I think it's Charles Lindbergh is my, who shares my birthday. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, you know, with the book, it was basically I had interviewed the guys, Paul and Tommy, at various points. In '04. I finally met Paul face-to-face for a magazine story I was doing. We kind of hit it off, and I had the germ of the idea then. A couple years later, I really pitched it to him formally, and then... Um, Ed had known Peter Jesperson, the replacement's old manager and Twin Tone label founder, and, and had a relationship with Paul's manager. So I sort of slowly started to work my way uh, in, into their good graces. And I, uh, I pitched it first to Tommy. We had dinner out in L.A. He was living in L.A. at the time playing with Guns N' Roses. And, and he said, okay, I'll do it if Paul will. And usually that's his way of getting out of things. Yeah, Paul yeah, won't yeah. do anything. Did you start off uh, as a were – were you like a huge fan, though, growing up? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. I mean, right. my whole life, you know, basically I saw them, just happened to catch them even before I knew who they were on Saturday Night Live in 86, which is a chapter in the book and a whole <laughs> incident in their history. But uh, so, yeah, I'd always been a fan and then kind of started writing about them a little bit and, and drew a little closer to their circles or their camps. And uh, after Tommy said, yeah, I'll do it if Paul will, I was doing a story for Spin on them and went out to, to Minneapolis, saw Paul again, did an interview at his house. By that point, he sort of was prepped that I was... I wanted to do this and you know we, we did the interview and I shut the tape recorder off and he said okay let's talk about the book and we talked for a couple hours about what it would entail and how it would be difficult for me and how it would ultimately be pretty difficult for them because if I was to tell the truth which was my intention yeah. that it wouldn't always be a very flattering story or right. a very happy story but he and Tommy really kind of uh, bit the bullet and, and, and said okay we're going to do this and do it seriously and I think over time I proved myself you know I did a 
two almost 300 interviews for the book and were digging up stuff and so I, you know i think they saw i was making a serious effort so that's i think why they stuck with it when as you as you say at any point he could have shut it down or they could have bailed on the whole thing but they stuck with it to, to the bitter end so to speak so um you know, and 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 there was definitely a few fraught moments in there with Paul, and uh, as and and sometimes. Oh, he died. Oh. Bob. <laughs> Bob's dead. You gotta watch dead. the light. It sounds like it was like the best phone connection in the history of the show. <laughs> I don't know what happened. It was too good to be true. Bob, if you're there. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. The batteries Bob. ran out. Uh, all right, he's there gone. Go. Quick okay, enough. <laughs> hey, Bob. That was Paul probably sabotaging the line. <laughs> <laughs> that Westerberg, that scamp. Have you? <laughs> but uh, anyway, as I was saying, you know, so it was it was a, it was a whole process, and and I, yeah, I was I was fortunate, I think, in my timing too. When I approached them, enough time had passed from the breakup of the band in '91 and the passing of Bob Stinson in '95 that I think they were finally ready, after years of avoiding it, to kind of you know grapple with their legacy and the band's legacy and what, what they'd been through. Is there ever a point uh, when you're writing the book where? Um, you say, like you just said, like they they become comfortable with you after all these years, and you go, okay, well, this guy's not going to screw us. And there are some things <laughs> you're going to write in the book that you're like, listen, I have to write it. Uh, gonna, you know, yeah, so you know, it's gonna go. I think Paul knew in that first conversation we had uh, when he basically agreed to do it. I think he knew what what it, this book was going to be ultimately, and that it wasn't always going to be flattering or favorable in in that sense, and that I had a job to do and. You know, he, you know, they're, they're pretty frank people. I mean, as Paul says, I apologize for nothing he did in the replacement, right. which probably isn't entirely true, but I think he knew that, like, he's a student and reads biographies and rock and roll books, and he knows the bullshit ones from the from the real deal, and I think he wanted to be part of one that was going to be more on the real side. So. Right. They was there... They didn't have a right of refusal or anything like that, did they? No, that, you know, and it's kind of a weird distinction. My, my buddy Warren Zanes just did this really great Tom Petty bio, and he had a interesting similar setup where basically it's full participation they agreed you know in advance all right we'll be part of this and we'll support you you know in terms of if some if somebody is like wondering oh can i is it all right for me to talk to this guy we'll give the okay so i had that but the 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 deal from the beginning was that i had full editorial control and they didn't have any say over that so it was you know it's not quote unquote authorized because i think that has a negative stigma of like you're pulling yeah, punches or exactly. it's band approved well, that, but it's sort of a distinction you know without a difference it's it's like they were on board and i got to write what i wanted to write which is sort of the best of both worlds well that said as a follow up have uh, have uh, Paul or Tommy read it and have you got any uh, positive or negative <laughs> feedback they, they have Tommy. Uh, Tommy read up to a point. I mean, I don't know at this point now. I'm sure he's probably read it because of the finished book. But I sent uh, sent him some. You know, I did send him some early stuff in terms of the family stuff because there's some sensitive bits about his early years and his family years having to do with his sister and stuff. And so he was oh, yeah. just a little concerned about that. And I sent him that, and he he was okay with it. He was good with that. I think he found the the kind of early roots of the band and that story I told to be, you know, inspiring in his words. So that was a big relief. Paul, I didn't think was going to read it and, and had made sort of intimations that he wasn't. And then of course at the 11th hour, he decided he wanted to read it. So I sent it to him, uh, FedExed him a copy of the galley on a Saturday morning. He got it because I could tell by the tracking. And then about 3 a.m. that night, I got a call. So, you know, that was uh, <laughs> interesting uh, uh, overnight. But we had, we chatted the next day and, you know, it was, 
I think for anybody, certainly for you or for me, even somebody like Paul who's been in the public eye, to all of a sudden have uh, the delivery man turn up with a book on your doorstep and over 500 pages you see your your whole life, including your your years in your 20s, laid out in black and white is probably a mindfuck for anybody, and I (laughs) think it was for him. So I think he was reacting to a lot of that, but ultimately I think he... uh, He's okay with the book. As happy, happy is not a word generally I associate with him. Yeah. But I think he's uh, he respects the effort and he's good with it. And I think you know the response that the book has gotten so far is probably just validates that for him. You think he burned through it in one day at three? Oh, I know, I know he did. Burned, started probably started at the back. I think he told me he was going to read it backwards. At least that way, you know, he he knows how it's going to end. And <laughs> but, then he uh, was born. Uh, That's great. You know, so he read it a couple times, and I think he's. Uh, you know, I hear different things. I, I tended to leave him alone because I, I bugged him for seven years. So, um, yeah. but I, I hear he's he's read through it again, and and you know, it it all stands. I think he's he's good with it, or as good as he's going to be, as anybody would be in that circumstance. You know. And Bob, this is uh, Tommy. I wanted to just ju- jump right in. What were your interactions with Chris Mars, and how hard was that to, to work with Chris? That was the problem with Chris was early on I did some interviews with him when I was doing the spin story. I kind of laid it out for him what I wanted to do, and he was the one, only one in the band. You know, I, I talked to Bob, uh, or rather Bob's family, uh, Slim Dunlap, Tommy, Paul, all the managers, all producers. Chris was the only one who didn't – I didn't have direct involvement. Fortunately, I was lucky. I had several long interviews that either I'd done or some unreleased stuff that people had done. So I was able to kind of create him in the book. But, you know, he had his own reasons for not wanting to be – I mean, first of all, he didn't participate in the reunion, and that's going to be a much more lucrative thing than, sure. than uh, wasting his time talking to me. So he has a kind of developed a thing. Maybe some people don't know. He has a really successful and serious career as a fine artist. Yeah, yeah. Um, his paintings and are... he's really known in that world completely irrespective of his career and the replacements. And right. it's not like a novelty of a drummer who became no, a painter. So I think not at all, there's yeah. a little bit of that with him where he feels like I, I don't want to cloud my current career with my old one. And you know, in a sense. I'm sure if you read the book, Chris's last few years in the band weren't the happiest, and so there may be some lingering animus there. But uh, from what I understand, he was actually asking a mutual friend about the book and wondering how he came off. And you know, I think he comes off fine, and it, which is fair because he, you know, for the most part wasn't uh, wasn't uh, any kind of culprit in the story. But you know, he had his own. He had his own sort of journey within the band and after the band. That's all pretty well documented. That's nice to hear. Yeah. yeah. Was it uh, was it tough to write the 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 early chapters of this book? Like the Bob Stenson's childhood, I had no idea. Jesus. Like you know, I mean, it's 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 what rough is an understatement. I don't know if you were listening to the show before, but I mean, when I when I said that the the cover of the book, Tommy is looks like he's fourteen. Bob looks like he's <laughs> sailed a thousand ships. Uh, you know, I mean, this yeah. guy this guy's life was was really tough and now when you talk to his mom and and all the family members and everything this has got to be a really hard position for you to be in and do they how do you gain the how do you gain the trust and you know have them open up yeah well i mean that was part of the reason in some ways why it took so long i feel like you know with some people you got what I, I, you know, the, the relationship and the trust was there right away with some other folks in terms of like maybe his mom. It took the second or third interview I did and over time and developing a relationship where they felt comfortable really getting into the, you know, some of the very personal things we're talking about and painful things. And in some cases, things they haven't talked to anybody about, including each other, you know, right, so I'm yeah. kind of bearing witness and, and taking a kind of a testimony or whatever, in a sense. And you know, that's, that's a hard thing to do with a stranger. So I think some of that time invested of me kind of developing a relationship with them and, and, and the book taking as long as it did yielded kind of those breakthroughs. Um, personally, of course, it was incredibly 
you know, difficult to, to sit there and talk to somebody's, you know, mother whose son has passed and, and all the things that, uh, you know, she had regrets about and things she could have done. And yeah, I'd be quite honest, I mean, I've done investigative type stuff, but mostly I'm a music critic and a rock writer. And so what I'm writing about is usually fun and frolicsome and arty. And, you know, there, there isn't a whole lot of, a ton of weight behind it, not certainly at this level. So, you know, it was a pretty haunting experience, but I wouldn't, uh, kid, you know, kid myself and say it was something that needed to be done. But I think in some ways, anytime you're able to talk about these things openly, it's cathartic. And I think hopefully they, I, I know his sister feels that way. I'm hoping his mom feels that way too. I think it's, you know, it's a process to kind of uh, live with this stuff and, and, and discuss it and hopefully dispel and, and, and get through it in a way. Do you find yourself in uh, any kind of like, you know, do you ever find yourself while you're doing these interviews and thinking you're in like some kind of therapist role or i mean i don't mean to oh sure i mean grace half the time i was doing the interview with paul he had a bad back so he would be laying laying down i mean i did feel like he's shrinking time so you're saying paul westberg was actually laying down on a couch while you're interviewing (laughs) yeah or on the floor or whatever i mean there is a little bit of that effect i think anytime you're talking to to doing interviews i mean particularly if you're doing multiple interviews and you're getting into people's childhoods and and early years it's it's inevitable you get a little sense of the 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 uh analysis going too but you know that's and in a way you're you're kind of uh you are kind of a shrink or and a detective and a historian and all those things when you write a book like this you know and 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 I won't say I was necessarily prepared for the, for all that, but I had to kind of uh, learn quick to 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 inhabit all those roles. You know, did you have to find? Did you find yourself um, trying to get it so right because the the uh, the childhood stories are so detailed that, yeah. like you know, other people, you know, people's memories are it, it's a tough thing. You know, your um your memories fade. People have different versions sure. of of different stuff. Did you find yourself trying to? Um, you know, I don't know how to put it to uh, to, to cater it to or not cater it uh, to, uh, you know, kind of put it towards like uh, everyone. How do you how do you put everyone's viewpoint into one story? You know what I'm yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the trick is kind of finding that balance and synthesize synthesizing all those uh, all those stories and those memories. I was lucky in a sense that, you know, Bob, part of his journey was. Uh, several years away in the state juvenile system, really, in, in juvenile jails and group home and that kind of thing. And that was a period where he was away from his family. And obviously, Bob having passed, there was no way for me to recount that. But I got lucky in that I just on a hunch figured, uh, you know, there's got to be some record of his years away in that state system in the yeah. 70s. And sure enough, uh, through some legal stuff, I petitioned and there there was. It was like a, I sent away to the to the to the uh, juvenile, you know, historical records, and I got back uh, a, a, like a 150-page file, wow. and it's like there like in a, black and white uh, all his years. So I was able to combine that with the family memories and also jog the family memories with some of the stuff that was it was in these reports and, and really kind of build him as, you know, a three-dimensional character. I mean, what, that was really part of the big motivation for me doing this book in terms of, and certainly in terms of Bob, was so much of what's said and known about Bob is kind of this caricature almost, you know, the wild, crazy guy who wore the dresses and, you know, got kicked out of the band and ultimately he died in this tragic way. But it, it seemed like all those descriptions almost cheapened him. And it's like, well, this guy had a full life and how did he get to that point? Right on. And how did he get to the point of the band and the, and, and the end of his life? And so you have to go all the way back. So I kind of wanted to make him whole, I guess. And that, so that was a huge part of this and you know i lucked out in some ways and again i was persistent in some ways and it, and it all came together it's did you t- feel the uh, the the spin article the cover story and what was that like late 94 or early 95 did you feel he, it was- he passed in 
February of ninety five. Okay, so it was, um, it was maybe it was like August of ninety four. Oh, or something Pat, like that, is this the interview story? where they went out on the lake? Yeah, with the six pack of beer. I remember reading yeah. that. Oh yeah, no, that was that would have been in ninety three. That was a Charles okay. Aaron piece in Spin. Um, Did you feel and, it was kind of uh, weird and exploitative? You know, uh, at the time, that that was the first thing, and it's funny because it, it highlights the whole pre-internet era. You know, Bob left the band at the end of '86, and outside of Minneapolis, because you know he had other musical projects, but nothing that really got outside of the state too much. It was basically like he disappeared, and so the first time anybody had heard or seen anything of him in almost seven years was this spin story, which, you know, captured him at a point where he wasn't uh, in the best shape, either mentally or physically or personally. And, and so I think, you know, I don't, I don't think it was exploitive. It was, it was where he was at. I think the shock was the last time anybody had seen him, he'd sort of been riding high in, in this great hip band. And here he is down on his luck seven years later. So I think that was, you know, again, sort of a product of, you know, nowadays, if it's, that would happen. He'd, the guy would be tweeting, or there'd be Facebook stories, or the internet. Stories. There, there was just this huge gap of information. So I think it was more of a shock to people, and that's why maybe that story is seen as being exploitative, which I don't think it was. I just think it, it was unfortunate in that it caught Bob at kind of the low ebb, um, you know, maybe 18 months before he passed. So, yeah. uh, but you know, and I talk about that story and the impact it had. And, and and where he was really at and what was really going on in his life in the book, too. That's one of the other things with the book. I, I, I After Bob's out of the band, I still return to him because his story is kind of the thread through the whole thing. Yeah. That's it's great. It's tough to, uh, to talk about things that people um, want to forget about and have forgotten about, you know, in their lives. Huh. Like, like, you know, and did you, have, did you feel like you had any, um, any, uh, you know, kind of uh, a duty to to Anita uh, course, in the story. Yeah. You know, to to, to to make it right and not you know throw her under the bus or whatever. Is that he's his a, widow? He's a real yeah. per, real well, real person it, you talk to. Well. Yeah, no, I mean that was a, that's a huge part of it. Continues to be. You know, one of the things is when we did the last interview and we talked. It was after she had been taking care of Bob's son, who had been you know, had a lot of his own troubles, and he passed away at the age of 21. He wasn't expected to live past age four or five. He had some severe disabilities and survived cancer and that stuff. And she, in a sense, was, I think, making up uh, in a way for, for what she'd missed with Bob, with, with Bob's son. And she was heroic in, in terms of taking care of him and giving him such an amazing life. And I think once, once he passed, she felt maybe... Uh, able to open up more and I asked her I said you know this this is going to come out and it's going to be hard and she said listen I, I've made my peace with everything as long as the kids are okay meaning Tommy and, 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 and their sister Lonnie then I'm okay with it so right. yeah I mean that's uh, these are actually good questions because this is the stuff that I don't really get to talk about and, yeah and like, hey what's your like, favorite replacement song is one of my <laughs> questions <laughs> too you know? hey, but no but I mean it's like I, 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 I don't I never took any of this lightly and it certainly weighed on me then and it, and it does now I I, I hope and I feel like based on the responses I've gotten from everybody including the principals involved that that I handled everything as, as well as could be but that doesn't make it any easier for, for the people whose lives have been directly affected you know yeah is alcoholism a theme for you and is it something you wanted to write about does it affect your life at all or is that just no you know that's the funny thing it's like I come from the most stable non-addiction non-alcoholic family and I so in a Boring. way <laughs> in the same way that I'm not from Minnesota uh, and I'm kind of an outsider there. I was an yeah. outsider to all this. So I was coming at it with, with like this outsider's curiosity, which I think, you know, some people might think would be a disadvantage, but I think ultimately it was That's kind an of advantage. an advantage because yeah. I had to understand it in a way that 
um, you know, wasn't colored by my own experiences or, or dealings with any of these issues, uh, either personally or kind of culturally. So, um, no, I mean, it's, I guess I'm, I guess I'm interested in that because it's almost like an anthropological thing for me, you know, just because I haven't had that experience. But <laughs> I have been writing about musicians for 20 years, so I'm a little familiar with right. with uh, the culture of addiction right. you know, and, and, and those sorts of the sensitivities that come with being an artist or whatever. Reading these stories early in the book, I just picture you sitting there listening with your mouth open like a gape, like, oh, my God. Do you imagine, like, uh, going, like, you know, I, I don't know if you were listening earlier in the show. I said my, my son is 14, and he has been in and out of zero mental institutions <laughs> and uh, right. was not drinking early in the morning. Like, it's it's crazy to me. It's so foreign to me. Like, even though, you know, I've, I've dealt with alcoholism, and everyone I know is pretty much a drunk. And, you know, my dad has his own problems and stuff. But, uh, Jesus Christ, it was never, like, it was well, you never know. that bad. The, the funny thing about all this is the the years that people were would always talk about the replacements and they have such a romance and the, the mostly based on you know the music and shows and all that but also on this kind of personal legend that they created either through their drinking or their chaotic shows or whatever else it was it's like nobody ever to me asked why it's like they would explain oh they did this crazy thing or that crazy thing and nobody ever said well, well why did they do that what were they thinking that moment where does all that come from and so for me that was always the story that i was looking to tell was um yeah okay the crazy antics yeah the you know behavior yeah the stuff they did with the record coming all that stuff great but but like there's got to be something behind that nobody does that stuff for no reason right. and of course uh, you know, with a lot of things, you find it goes all the way back. And in the case of, of each of them to a man, they had specific things in their backgrounds that, that colored the way um, they came came together and the way the band continued on. I mean, there's a kind of a funny thing in that who the, what the replacements were was had everything to do with who the guys in the band were and what they'd experienced growing up more than, than I think most bands do. Right, of course. Hey, I wanted to ask you: were Were you privy to the reunion uh, years before it actually happened? Well, privy in the sense that it might happen. Yeah, I mean, in a well, weird way, might, but definitely. Yeah, when I started the book, uh, or really started talking about it seriously, it was around 2008. There was a series of album reissues, replacements album reissues that Rhinos put out, and that was the first time that Paul and Tommy really got serious about talking about it. And in fact, I think they even rehearsed uh, with a couple other guys that year. And then every year the offers came, the offers came for all the festivals, Coachella, Lollapalooza, all that sort of stuff. And, right. and Paul basically demurred from all of that for a number of years. So I, I always felt like, you know, it was always there in the background lurking. And I always felt like, especially once I did the book I, and I realized the depth of the relationship between Paul and Tommy and what they had and how they both regarded their kind of creative and personal relationship that I'm, I felt always like these guys are not going to, you know, uh, end their lives without doing something again. So I sure. kind of felt it was inevitable, but I don't think it really picked up any serious steam uh, until Slim Dunlap, who is the replacements uh, replacement guitarist, uh, mm -hmm. took over for Bob Stinson. He had his st stroke, unfortunately, and they, yeah. Paul and Tommy got together for the Songs for Slim project, right. which raised a bunch of money. And then I think then the reunion had a little bit of a, maybe more of a noble purpose, you know, in terms of... Sure. Yeah, of, I think of without that, I don't, I don't think they get together without that. I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but it's kind of like, my, I don't know. I, I don't think it happens without it's, that. No, they did They did one one-off thing. Uh, actually, Paul had done the soundtrack for Open Season, and it's animated a great Disney soundtrack, movie, by the way. or a <laughs> Sony the... movie, of all things. And Paul and Tommy, had, they'd done some tracks for that. So they got up at the premiere, which is like this invite-only Hollywood premiere of the film with a bunch of kids and family, and they got up and, and, and 
played a couple songs from the movie and I then did not know kicked into IOU and did a replacement song oh, wow. so loud that these poor children were like covering their ears. But, <laughs> you know, nobody saw that. And then that was the only, as Paul put it, huh. he puts it in the book, if that was going to be their only reunion, that was a great way to go out. You, you know, know, there's a lot of songs on that. Uh, is it Monopat or the other one uh, that uh, could be uh, construed as a... Uh, children's songs almost like <laughs> dirty diesel and there's a rabbit in the hole or whatever the song yeah, that yeah. is you know you know i, uh, yeah, I, I flew to, i flew to uh to toronto to see their very first reunion show and it's amazing what they sounded like then compared to say philadelphia where i saw them almost at one of their last shows ever they, it was almost like they were like a train going full blast and by the end of it they had really kind of like chilled out it was a different set from that year to the following year you know yeah i saw the toronto show too and the toronto show was was i mean for me particularly surreal because at that point i've been working on the book for five years and you know knee deep in that and all of a sudden to like be whisked side stage and seeing this band come back to life was just completely bizarre and the show that show was of the reunion shows and i saw a bunch of them to me that was the best it might not have been the best sounding they might not have been the tightest paul's voice might have not been there but the right. energy was so insane and the moment was so amazing that i think that was just you know like you say it was like a freight train absolutely was that the first show tommy yes that was the yes. first show back to in toronto yep. and then by the time when i only saw them uh in uh forest hills where it was just like i could walk there what uh what, halfway you, I'd say down that really? down that I, slope. I really enjoyed it. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, so I'm not I, trying to I, shit I, on I it. I had a no. fucking great time that night. I don't have the context of how it was. I was just like, you know, I wasn't as a bigger as a big as replacements fan as I am. I know Pat didn't go to any of the shows, and he's the biggest fan that we know. I was like, I I, I wasn't like. Uh, I seen them three times before they broke up. Yeah, so. I know. Right. I, I, and I never did, so I wasn't super psyched. Like about the reunion, it's not that I'm against reunion shows. I was, like, I know what it's going to be, kind of, right? You know? I, and then when I went, I almost, I was like almost weeping. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you know, and I think the full show actually, in some ways, was probably the best show of the whole tour. You were there in terms of the energy of the crowd, and I know they were nervous because like our tickets going to sell. New York audiences are jaded, and I think people just it was basically sold out, packed, and I think there was. I know for them that was like just the triumph, you as, know, because as, the energy and the love from the crowd was just intense. As so great intense. as the music was that night, that was really one of the best parts. That's the one of the. I, I would say that might be the reason why that might be one of the best concerts I've ever gone to is because everybody was just really Absolutely. right in the was, same spot there. I hate this your joy. Term. Scene unity, but my God, <laughs> it was like yeah. thirty of us there. It was it, right. It's not the music, Ryan. You're right. It's it was the uh, w looking at everyone's faces and going, "Wow, look!" There's not a non-smiling face right. in this. And in we've this crowd. all gone through this together already. Yep. That was the whole thing: is that we all listened to all this music for a good part of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And here we are now. You know, and this there was, was there was a cynicism uh, that comes with every replacement show missing from that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you and know, the venue I just too think, was like, great. To do it, and they had just played the week before. They had played the, their hometown of Minneapolis, which is always a little strange, but of course there was like 14,000 people there for that, and it was a, sort of a celebration. But getting to New York, you know, and then having that much of a response and that much of a thing. I, I saw the picture, I think I remember even posting it's like, just this packed stadium and everybody, you can almost see their faces in this photo, how they focused everybody was and how part of this thing they were. And it was like, oh shit, you know, the, the good guys won in the end, which is always kind of the funny thing because we think of the replacements of these lovable losers and these guys who fell short. But in that moment, there's 13,000 people there just packed and loving it. It's like, yeah, they won in the end. So yeah, they, rep they represented how we felt though, as kids too. That's the whole thing. And, right. uh, it, it it's something we all needed. Bob, were you at that New York show or no? 
He, yeah, he I didn't go to New York show. Oh, I was in oh, Minneapolis the week before, and I regret not going now because I, you know, everybody, including the band, Paul and Tommy, said, you know, that was that was the night. Well, that's how I feel about not going to Minneapolis. I would have loved to go to that. <laughs> I think Tommy almost didn't make it. He went on stage and said uh, that he took a train, like an Amtrak. I guess he lives upstate in New York, maybe. Yeah, he lives and, in Hudson. Uh, yeah, there was, there was a problem. He <laughs> almost didn't make it. But Paul didn't say a word. And what was the T-shirt thing, Tommy? Uh, you know, what did it spell out? Yeah, he 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 had a little message going on. You want to talk on that a little, bit, Bob? <laughs> Do you know about this? Well, he, you know, I, I'm not privy to all of that, but basically I think people took it and, and uh, the whole, the way the reunion, quote unquote, ended, I don't know if it's a, it's a full stop or just a pause, but it's kind of just died. On stage. Yeah. yeah I Which mean, they were on like... stage in Port- Portugal and Paul said, oh, this is our last show ever, but that was just the last show of their tour. And frankly, if you go back as I have and listen to all the bootlegs, he says, this is our last show probably 70 <laughs> times over right. the course of their career, including at CBGB's when they were playing their label showcase in 84. So you can't really take Paul's word for, for anything. <laughs> when he's on stage. Um, and the T-shirt thing was, you know, uh, I, I think the same way he never Every makes his songs about show. one person or one thing. I think it was a message to probably multiple people. Right. Uh, and, and I never quite figured out what the Listen, deal is. It with was that, funny but, because you know. they're like, oh, we, we're gonna, we might record new music. And then it was like, oh, we're not going to. And it's just the way it just died is so It's really weird. It's perfectly fitting. I, I You know, it, it shouldn't be like, oh, yeah. we're going to ride off into the sunset. They should ride halfway to the sunset and collapse on the camels or horses. <laughs> yeah, well, that's sort of that's sort of place. where it stands now. I mean, you know, the thing about Paul is just the I mean, the whole reunion. Basically, he just decided one afternoon, okay, let's do it. And the same way with extending the tour and stuff. So, you know, with him, a guy who who works that way, he doesn't like to plan ahead. I think I don't think you can say anything is 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 done. It could it could crop back up again for both of them. So yeah, it's, what I thought was crazy was they actually had shows booked in Pittsburgh and and Cleveland, and they never finished them. They were like, ah, fuck it, we're not doing those. Well, yeah, he got he got. Sick that he had to cancel because in Detroit, I think uh, his, his lungs caught up to him. He got sick. It was uh, you know not the best yeah. weather. So he's still and so smoking. Then, yeah, but they never made him up. You know. Like, yeah, they never made him up. It's just unfortunate because I know that left a bad taste in people's mouths. But sure. I'm sure if they ever do anything again, Pittsburgh will be the first date. On the do you think they will? He's still smoking. Did, did he, when you interviewed Paul and he's lying on the on the floor? Did you have to. After the interview, did you have to go home and wash your clothes from the cigarette smoke? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, he was smoking for most of the time, and we, a lot of the interviews we did kind of in a sunroom type thing that was sort of half indoors, half outdoors. Of course, that's a little harder to do in, in Minnesota uh, yeah. in the winter. And, of course, I uh, he, he seemed to, a lot of times I would do the interviews a couple times a year with him in between doing other ones, and same with Tommy. But Paul seemed to get a hankering to, to do the interviews with me always in January or December or February, never when it's like nice high summer in Minneapolis, always when it's freezing and 60 <laughs> the snow. Like, so. Right, almost like let this guy trek through the snow. Fuck right, him. He knows, he, I guess he, yeah, at a certain point he realized I grew up in California, so he was like, I'm going to punish this guy even more. <laughs> you don't smoke cigarettes, do you? Uh, not anymore. Not for a long time. Right. You didn't know uh, when when you're sitting there interviewing Paul Westerberg. You didn't have a hang. You know what? I'm just gonna have. I got. I, 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 I got. I need to smoke a cigarette. Twice out there interviewing him in the winter. I, a couple times I did it kind of piggyback that I would be out in L. A. for the Grammy Awards. You know, covering that in my capacity as music critic, Daily Paper, and and uh, and then Paul would say, "Okay, let's do it." So I'd take the week and and I'd go from 70 degrees and sunny in California 
to uh, zero degrees in Smokey and Paul's uh, basement or whatever, and I, I got sick twice staying in hotels in suburban Minneapolis where I seriously thought I was going to die from, like, you know, uh, sinus infection, virus, whatever. So I, I paid my dues on this book. It I'll wasn't you like, uh, yeah. you know, I got to uh, meet my hero. Like, say you were a huge Rolling Stones fan, you meet Keith Richards and you just start smoking cigarettes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. I, like I said, and I went drinking with Tommy a few times. I mean, he, we did some bar hopping as we did interviews. He came down here in Memphis once and when I was up in Hudson. And, you know, you want to kind of represent yourself and go toe-to-toe and feel like you're part of the thing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm not – he's a heavyweight. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bantamweight. Dude, when you drank with the replacements. Yeah, and you want to be able to read your notes after. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, you're like, hey, you know, screw, screw the book. I drank with the replacements. You know, a book schmuck. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's there's that, but the the, the publisher that wouldn't satisfy the publisher who would give me the advance. I had to so, take him know. out for a couple pops. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just submit an eight hundred dollar charge for booze? Right. I can't write that off. Right, write this off. <laughs> Old man DeCapo is going to have your head. <laughs> hey, Baba, how many books have you written? And of them, which ones were the most challenging? Which one was the most challenging? Zero books. Zero books. Uh, well, yeah, this is, this is first? my first book and I think, uh, I'm going to have a hard time topping it in terms of a subject matter that's as weird and wild and compelling, you know, so you, you like, could write a uh, book about us next. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, well, I could, I could, I could spend some time down there and see, see what I can come up I went, with. I mean, yeah, went to juvie. If the, uh, if the theme is failure, then we're, we're <laughs> <laughs> continuing theme. <laughs> Do you, oh, it might so, be, it might be a short book, but it, I think there's a book yeah. there to be had. Yeah. Well, let me, let me, does Paul Westerberg actually, uh, you know, from your dealings with him and, and interviewing him all, over uh, six years, does he, do you think that he sees himself as a success or a failure? I think the part that was hard was looking back on the replacements period because there were so many expectations for them and so many people had high expectations and hopes for them. And, and they weren't in a place, I don't think, uh, really ever themselves, that they knew what they wanted and were willing to do the things you had to do back in those days to kind of uh, be a success, either in terms of making records or glad-handing label people or radio programs, all that stuff. So it was such an alien world for them to be a part of. And I think now he has, you know, or as we were doing the book, he has some regrets about it. And I think it was probably really hard for him in the mid-'90s where he's at the low ebb of his solo career post-replacements, and he sees all these people becoming successful right. who are imitating him or influenced by him. Um, you know, Google Dolls, Wilco, Wallflowers, Green Day, all these people who cite him. So, you know, that's a tough spot to be in where it's yeah. like you feel like you're shut out of your own success and this thing that you've created that other people are capitalizing on. Now, I think 20 years later, and particularly after the reunion and the validation they got from that, I think he's he's totally content because he knows he's up there in the pantheon as far as songwriters, uh, American songwriters, rock and roll songwriters, songwriters of his generation. That he's, you know, he's a, he's a buzzword uh, for for a certain kind of alternative rock and roll songwriting. So I think he's satisfied with that and satisfied with the replacements. You know, kind of place. It's almost like a like a Bob Dylan role. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, he's you know people. You know, there's no such, almost no such thing as a casual replacements fan. I mean, it's a serious love affair, and it's a diehard right. thing. I mean, and a lot of people, people hate him. It's like love or hate. Like, uh, yeah. you know, half my friends love him, and uh, they're like they're, are their favorite band, and half them, half of them, are, like just don't get it at all. And which I think Westerberg loves too. I don't think he ever wanted to be this uh, like lukewarm water. I think he wanted to elicit a reaction one way or the right. other. Like, and he what is, to do what that is, for what, most of his career? Right. If but he, I think. Uh, 
you know, he's, he, he, how can you, like I say, you go to that Forest Hill show and you, and you experience that as a performer, as somebody who's built this thing over years, how can you not feel like you're a success on some level? So I think he's, you know, at at a place where he's, he's accepting of all of it now. What do you think the end result, uh, the six, what is the, you know, idea of success to be like REM or or like, or or you watch watch a band like Soul Asylum become famous and you want to kill yourself, you know? Yeah, I mean, at the time for them, REM was kind of a rub because they started out around the same time. They were, they had you know mutual connections. They toured together, and then REM to see them zoom past in, in a sense. But you know, the replacements were never that kind of band. They were not enigmatic in that way. That would uh, you know, I don't know, it was just apples and oranges. So, but when you're when you're when you're when you're the replacements and you're working on your uh, what's supposed to be your breakthrough record and REM comes to your label signs to your label in this uh, big way after selling a million records how can you not feel some sense of we have to measure up to that so yeah, right. you know, I think there there was that that is part of the the replacement story is kind of uh, the competitiveness that that which is what surprised me how competitive they were early on with like Husker Du as far as hometown rivals and later with REM so even if they kind of portrayed themselves as lovable losers and we don't care it's like they 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 felt they had pride about the band and who and what they were so they were uh, they were a surprisingly competitive group but i don't i don't think they ever had that same sit down meeting that rem had about uh, taking yeah. it to the next level <laughs> yeah and i mean I, I talk about that i mean some of that is like that midwestern thing of uh, you know the story of the replacements is this total the lack of communication i mean everything was came out in passive aggressive actions to, you know against the world or sometimes with each other so they never had that uh, sit down band meeting certainly not sobering way that that you could sort of articulate okay this is what we're going to do or what we're not willing to do and how we see our career they were they were always from the moment that they were kind of discovered by peter jesperson and basically signed after two failed gigs everything was in an upward trajectory but it wasn't planned at all and so you know at a certain point you reach a level in in rock and roll or show business or whatever you gotta you gotta have some clear purpose and they never had that they just wanted to to, to play the music and have a good time which is like uh you know it's if you're a record company executive you look at that oh these guys think they're lovable losers they're not gonna go anywhere you look at that like it's like the lowest hanging fruit ever this is great perfect situation for me I'm a record company dude these guys don't want to be famous and we'll make as much money off them as as we can and (laughs) but when you but when you think about it too like you know them you know intentionally tanking you know those uh, showcases and stuff like that it really just speaks more to their fear it speaks to their fear but also is a lot of the things they did like you know the crazy things or the seemingly self-sabotaging things it was a test to see who was going to last with them. I mean, when they when they were testing out managers or producers or even labels, you know, the showcase, it's like, okay, you everybody wants to sign us, we're the hot thing, we're going to you know tank this show and see who's there the next night who still yeah. wants to sign us. It was this weird kind of uh, ritualistic sort of thing uh, that they that they put everybody through, and that's kind of how they, rather than being actually self determining about their career, that's how they operated. They just sort of made made a mess and and tried to push. People people away and whoever came back that was uh, who ended up you know working with them mm, sure uh bob i want a quick 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 question we talk about reunions just to close that topic up what do you think we'll see first paul westerberg's solo tour or a reunion for or the replacements playing again in any form boys can i say neither uh <laughs> i uh i mean westbrook's got this new record with uh, julian, julian Hatfield. Hatfield, yeah. i don't care yeah. his new project and uh 
And it seems like they should tour, but I'm getting the sense that they may not, at least not immediately. So I don't know. I think he's, I think he's in a good place creatively, and, and he's going to pump some stuff out uh, more. You know, he's kind of on a tear, I think. So it's, I would say maybe if you're going to see a tour, you're going to see a Westerberg solo tour first, but don't hold me to I'd that. I'd love that. You know. the, I, I don't, the I Don't Care's record is a good little record. Yep. Thank you. I love the uh, – the, uh, what was that? That's got to be like 10 years ago now, that mono grandpa boy stuff. That was that was no, brilliant. Um, more, uh, more. more like fourteen or fifteen. Oh, Mono God, came out I'm in two thousand two. So, so he did it. He did it. He did a tour in 05. That was his last band solo band tour. Was two thousand five. So you know, eleven years ago. <laughs> I, I I still think "And Justice for All" is the new Metallica album. So I, I'm pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's Sorry. funny you say that because Westerberg's like that too. Sometimes, you know, his memory would be so sharp about things from 40 years ago, his childhood. And then he'd ask me, now, which came first, let it be here, Tim? And I'd be like, are you kidding right. me? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's all a blur for me. You know, when we go, when you go through our, our uh, you know, the bands, when you're in the 30 and 30s and 40s, your brain uh, compartmentalizes things. Right. I, got, I got drunk in preparation for this interview. I apologize. <laughs> You know your brain. Your brain starts uh, putting the important things in in the front, and you forget. You forget. I'm like, what? You know, me, me and Pat uh, are in a band, and we constantly. I'm like, what's the name of that song that we do? That's and what's what album came first, and what song came first? You know, who knows? Well, your bands are a process of repetition. You know, tour song you know so it all tends to blur i totally get that but it's funny the, it tells you how your brain remembers can remember very specific things from your childhood were, right? there, were there any any stories uh he did last week it's just the way the mind works i guess mm. were there were there any uh, uh stories where you'd uh like you'd, you'd talk to paul about something and you talk to tommy about something and and the stories were so wildly different that's a great question <laughs> yeah you know th- there was a lot of that because, as you guys maybe know, the replacements, none of them, uh, certainly up until very recently, I think Chris Mars has a license, but none of them ever had driver's licenses. No driver's licenses, no high school <laughs> diploma. So somebody had to be around and fairly sober to get them. Wow. Somebody had to be around and fairly sober to get them to and from the gigs. Uh, so there was always at least one other, maybe more sober witness than them to any incident in the early years and then as the crew expanded. <laughs> so, party yeah, there was a little bit of that thing of, uh, of like the Rashomon where it's like, okay, there's an incident and there's six different versions of it and my job was to kind of figure out what was maybe the more objective truth among all those subjective uh, versions so <laughs> um, yeah that that happened I don't think Paul and Tommy ever disagreed too wildly but they might have disagreed with uh, you know somebody else and and so that was that was a little tricky I mean memory is a funny thing especially when you're looking at stuff that's 30 years ago and as we were saying 10 some of the events maybe on the road tend to blur together but uh, but I, I I think I managed to uh, kind of to, to, to nail the nail the incidents as, as they the, happen. You're the Akira Kurosawa of rock and roll. <laughs> uh, what, yeah, yeah, what, exactly. what do you think their uh, relationship is like now? Like they don't, you know, you, you always think like bands like uh, talk every day. You like, you know, Slash doesn't talk to Axel every day. Right. Do these guys they hang out? I mean, when they're on stage, it seems like they're having a good time. Yeah, they? I think that's. I think it's you know goes in phases and stages. I think generally speaking. They've always been in fairly regular contact since the reunion. I think there was a couple years in the mid-2000s where they were on the outs uh, when uh, Paul was maybe taking shots at Tommy being in Guns N' Roses and vice versa. And, you know, Tommy saying Axel is easier to work with than Paul, you know, that kind of thing. But generally, they don't go years without talking. And, and of course, I found myself just in the middle of some, some of that uh, periodically. 
where they they wanted to know, well, what's the other guy saying? Or or I would jog memories. And, you know, I remember doing an interview here in Memphis with Tommy, and he went outside, the, and, and I caught him on the phone, and he was leaving a message for Paul, you know, like, what did you get me into kind of thing. But um, so, you know, I think I think after the reunion, that strengthened a lot of things between them, because certainly that was the most they'd hung out with each other since since the band broke up. And I think a lot of it was fun, but I think, you know, you're grown up, you're, you're not dealing with guys in their 20s or teens, you're dealing with the guys in their late 40s and early 50s, and so you probably don't want to hang out with each other exactly the same way as you did when you were in your in your 20s and teens, so sure. there's a little bit of that, but I think they're... They're uh, they're probably right now both in kind of hibernation mode from the replacements. I mean, the book doesn't help, but the, Tommy's been working on his solo album, which is going to come out later this year. And Paul's been doing the the project with Juliana yeah. and, and with so Guns N' Roses. He's out probably of that. just taking a relative break from each other now. But uh, like I say, never say never about them doing something down We're the line. We're talking with Bob Mayer, author of Trouble Boys, the Replacements book. You can go to replacementsbook.com, and all the options will be available to you. Click on one of them and buy the book. It's the definitive. The definitive replacements book. The guy has spent I six ate years it up. I ate it right up. Pat, how long did it take you to burn through the book? Uh, it came on Wednesday afternoon. I finished a Thursday morning. That's yeah, a oh thousand pages, God. something like that. Jeez. <laughs> no, uh, not quite. Not quite a thousand. Although the original manuscript would have been probably closer to a thousand. Wow. Like Send me the original manuscript. <laughs> yeah, can we get a Pat copy wants of that? The origi- origi- original <laughs> manuscript. There's no bigger replacements fan than Pat. I mean, he knows it all. Is Pat, it? I'll, I'll, we'll work something out, you and me. We'll, we'll figure something uh-huh. out. Uh, that's a good question, Bob. Is there anything in the book that you wanted to put in and regret uh, not not including? Maybe it's not a good question. I lost you there. <laughs> oh, sorry. Hey, it, repeat, it, will you repeat that again? I lost you there for one second. Is there anything you did not include in the book that you regret not including? Um, I, you know, there was a kind of uh, series of endnotes in, in the where the references are and stuff that were really more tangential, factoid, fun, anecdotal things that just didn't fit in the main narrative, but I kind of referenced them, you know, wherever they happened on the page. But for the, the damn thing was so long, we had to cut from somewhere. But I think <laughs> um, I think when we do the paperback edition, I'll put that stuff back, because it's just funny funny stories and, and <laughs> you know, kind of continuations of certain points. And I think that stuff is it will be kind of cool Include for, for hardcore book. fans. So uh, a little enticement for for folks to pick up the paperback, I guess. But go. no, I mean, in terms of, even though we had to, I had to cut a lot, uh, which I don't think is uncommon with like a big narrative biography, there was, it was just more of the same in a sense, or more anecdotal stuff. The real essential stuff is all in there. And, and then I had great editors kind of helping me do that. But uh, yeah, when the paperback comes out, well, then maybe there'll be some more extra stuff. But uh, you, uh, you gotta buy the, you've got to buy the hardcover first. Will you release <laughs> the book and then uh, re-edit it as uh, a la the New York Times in a Bernie Sanders uh, <laughs> That's right, <style>. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bob, I do have one more. If, you, if do you mind staying on the line for about another ten minutes? Of course, whatever you need. Because I have a game uh, called Crap Not Crap, and since you're a music critic and a writer, this okay. is going to be a lot of fun for us. I'm going to get you get me in trouble with everybody. Now. Right. Right. Well, you know, I think Frank Zapp is dead. I don't think you're ever a problem. <laughs> I'm going to give you a name of a band, and I'm going to go through the list, rapid fire, and you tell me whether they're crap or not crap. If you feel now, like- is this my personal opinion or how I think they they rate in terms of uh, no. musical history or creatively? Personal, personal opinion. Personal, personal and, opinion. It, oh, this will be easy then. It's all crap. No. Yeah, <laughs> it's all crap. If you feel like you need to stop and qualify your answer, that's fine. Otherwise, okay. crap or not crap. Okay, are you ready? Here's right. crap, not crap with Bob Mayer. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, let's go. Frank Zappa. <laughs> crap. New York Dolls. Not crap. Melvins. Not crap. Not my thing totally, but definitely not crap. Metallica. 
Hmm. See, I now. suppose the first, can we split the career up? I, I mean, once once you make the documentary where you with with the uh, with the shrink in the sweater, I think it's crap. But you know, <laughs> if there was a documentary on you interviewing Paul Westerberg on the floor, I would watch that. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, there is a there is a little Metallica sidebar to the replacements uh, story that I have to you know I'll leave for the book. But when they went up to make a replacements went to make their uh, Don't Tell a Soul album in Bearsville, and and they had a big meltdown, and I think they they petrified metallica who were also recording up there so that's a for the metallica fans that's an enticement to buy the replacements book <laughs> is it weird that i like every replacements album and i'm like not turned off by don't tell us all like at all it's <laughs> a great <laughs> album <laughs> all right foo fighters uh, i'm gonna say not crap interesting uh deep purple you know the early stuff not crap after a certain point you know maybe crap but it's funny the replacements and i think deep purple were both up for the rock and roll of fame a couple years ago (laughs) eventually i guess deep purple got in the replacements are still waiting so (laughs) and meanwhile like uh who's yeah whatever who's in the rock and roll hall of fame that's that's not the replacements is in there i'm gonna take a baseball bat to this whole play cheap tricks up this year (laughs) oh good yeah cheap trick got in that's good so that's good van halen (laughs) Oh, not crap. Well, certainly the the early years with Roth, not crap. After that, I'm not the the Sammy era. I'm not so crazy. But actually, can I can I reserve a special place for Gary Sharon yes, era? Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Really, <laughs> you believe the Gary Sharon era is the best Van Halen era? I believe that's coming back. I think they're going to get back. Oh, dude, I'm waiting for Van Hagar. It sounds Come on. like you want the best of both worlds. <laughs> the best of all three worlds. I all think, three. You know? All three. It's a triumvirate of worlds. I really uh, think we're going to see Van Hagar coming up, by the way. That's my gut instinct. The Rolling Stones. Oh, not crap. Ted Nugent. Crap. Grand Funk Railroad. Eh, some not crap, but mostly crap. I mean, I like the guy's, you know, his, his arm bar and he's shirtless, and then Don Brewer's got the fro. I mean, <laughs> they have some elements that make them appealing, but, uh, you know. Fog hat. Early fog hat, not crap. After the first, I don't know, third, the third record or whatever, it's, it's crap. Uh, Bob Dylan. Not crap. Bad Brains. Not crap. Ghetto Boys. Oh, not crap. I love the Ghetto Boys. Steely Dan. And be careful, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be one of these Steely Dan weirdo hipsters who thinks... I can't lead the witness. I I know. I can't lead the witness. I'm sorry. Steely Dan. Oh, crap. Thank you. Thank you. Throw in there real quick. Chicago. But I love... All of Don Fagan's solo records. Not kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Don Fagan's solo records. Not crap. (laughs) Uh, Chicago. The city or the band? Start with the band. (laughs) Start with the the band is crap. The city's great. I used to live there. So yeah, I like Chicago a lot. Even though Chicago is constantly breaking my balls because they have some some kind of a uh, you know what do you call it an issue. They have a, they I thought you were going to say baseball team. No, they're all mad because I'm from New York. I, listen, I live in Queens. It's basically Chicago. I'm like, uh, you know, Same shit. Yeah. Except we don't have alleys. Take it easy. Your pizza sucks. It's not pizza. And that's it. <laughs> Everything else about Chicago is great. Except Chicago the, hot ex- dog with a pickle on it? Except Mint. I cu- love the, it. Except the Cubs. All right. Chicago's great. City. And the Bears. And the Bears. And uh, I will be listening to the Chicago isolated horn vocals after all you guys go to sleep. I'll sit, <laughs> I'll sit out here in the garage by myself. Uh, Boz Skaggs. 
yeah. You know, I, it's funny. I met him not long ago. He was down here in Memphis making a record, mm. and I ran into him. Uh, he's a big guy, actually, much bigger than you yeah. would think. Uh, Tall? So, I, in case he's listening, I'm going to say not crap because I might run into him again. I don't right. Know. Oh, he's, he's totally <laughs> listening, by the way. Did you ever write an article about Boz Skaggs? I have. Uh, did I write an article? No, no. But he came, he came down here to Memphis to cut at uh, at, at the Royal Records, which is where Al Green cut everything, and you know yeah. Willie Mitchell was a producer. It's actually, an amazing, amazing studio, and they do great stuff. But uh, he, he came down here, and then of course he left. He went to go record in Nashville. What's so the- I actually, so I'll say he's crap now since he didn't come back to Memphis. He's crap. <laughs> What's the biggest blowback you ever got on a music review? Is like somebody just like personally email you, like um, you know, dude. I got when I was first starting out. There was a local band in, in Phoenix that I wrote something. They were kind of like a rap rock thing that was not very good. And I don't know, you know, I was I was a young man then, full of piss and vinegar, and I I may have been overboard in in my dismissal of them. And I got a, a myriad death threats, um, but it was really <laughs> oh. just one kid in the band calling me up late at night. But it, you know, that was a little unsettling. And that uh, Tom kid Wait, grew up to be Tom Billy Waits Corgan. scared me one time <laughs> talking to him. He kind of yelled at me one time. But, Who? Uh, Tom Waits. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's, he's a weirdo, though, but he's a good guy. But I, I don't know. He was just woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day, but that was kind of petty. Did you give him a bad review? No, no, we were just doing the interview, and I don't know. He just uh, he was he was going through his shtick, and I asked uh, maybe the wrong question or something. I don't know. It wasn't even that big a deal, but he, he got cranky with me. And, you know, it's kind of scary. So, what's the worst uh, album you ever reviewed that you were like, I just can't even print this. It's so bad. Like uh, the, the band's gonna. <laughs> You know, I was lucky because for a lot of years I worked, you know, for like Village Voice Company and all that stuff. So I kind of picked and choose things that I, you know, that wasn't going to be totally horrible. I was the right. editor for a lot of years. So if there was anything really bad, I'd just fob it off on somebody else. So. <laughs> so you never got death threats from Billy Corgan is what you're saying. No, no, no. I, I think I interviewed him once when he was on in Chicago. I think at that point he was kind of coming out of the woodwork. He'd been a, sort of away for a while after Swan and... <laughs> I think he was on the cover of like Cat Fancy magazine or something. So that, that was the reason we did the story. So he was fine. He was very mellow. Zwan is um, his one saving grace for me because I'm a huge Matt Sweeney fan. All right, yeah, <laughs> love that guy. Matt yeah, Sweeney. he's great. Oh, Chavez, Chavez. Yeah, I saw him. There was some. He's he's like the Zelig of, of rock and roll. I was looking at something. I don't even know what it was in like New York Times or somewhere. There's a picture of about some hip restaurant, and Matt's just like walking his dog. He's just in the photo. He has, uh, <laughs> just like guys everywhere, you know. He's everywhere. Yeah. We were All in right. the New York Times. So crap, not crap. Chavez. <laughs> oh, uh, not crap. Tom Petty in the Heartbreakers. Uh, not crap. Johnny Thunder's in the Heartbreakers. Not crap, obviously. Mott the Hoople. Not crap. Yeah. Kiss. Well, I I love the culture of Kiss. <laughs> people stop. My my buddy John Worcester, of course, is is the foremost Kiss expert. And oh my he, God! Yes, Kiss lit. I, I joke. Yep. I, I told him. I said, you know, I gave him my book, and John was a real big help with the replacements book because he actually was managed by the same company when he was in an early band, so he knew a lot of the characters. But I said, when I sent him the book, I said, I hope you have room for this in your bookshelf, which is obviously filled with all <laughs> hundreds of books about Kiss. Thousands. I think it's true. So most of them pictures. Most of them, yeah, exactly. John's a great guy. We love John Worcester here on the show. We're big Super Trunk fans, too, and fans of his comedy. Yep. John's a great guy. Great Kiss, guy. Uh, you know, I think, uh, personally, I think Kiss has about five good songs. 
Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I like the, some of the things on the early stuff, but it's very selective. But then also the things that are really awful. Uh, John and I were actually just, he, he was uh, alerting me to the song, which I hadn't realized, Great Expectations, which is uh, off uh, uh, Destroyer or something. Anyway, it, it, it is possibly the worst song ever. I would urge you to, <laughs> to read the lyrics. What is uh, the, and, what, you're a music critic. What is the worst song ever? I, I happen to think it is American Pie by Don McLean. But, uh, right, good, good oh, there's, there's worse. Actually, you know... Uh, there's a there's a song that Tom Sharpling, who you know John is his comedy partner, they used to play a Neil Diamond song called Porcupine Pie, which is <laughs> pretty awful. Um, but I mean, there's some new country stuff uh, like Florida Georgia Line, it's a whole that genre variety that, that are that are just so bad that you can't even believe it. You guys so, don't even uh, know. I'm working on a new country song. I really am. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, I got lyrics and everything. It's about beer pong and blue jeans. It's, it, the name of the song is Beer Pong and Blue Jeans Forever. <laughs> What's it about? You're gonna, you're gonna be you're gonna be done with the show and cashing those million dollar uh, royalty checks. Million dollar yeah. bills coming in. I mean, that's that's my plan is to make the song and not reveal who made it, and then like ho- hopefully people that's, just. It's like the new Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You're going to be huge. You're going to be playing the Yankee Stadium. There's going to be those real close like uh, country harmonies on it and stuff. Pat, you got to help me out with this here because i got a whole idea. I can play right. pedal steel. Oh, he's good like, <laughs> Pat's good like that, too. Uh, the Who. The Who? Uh, not crap. Prince. Not crap. Pat Benatar. I am not uh, as familiar with the Benatar catalog as I probably should be. I mean, I know a few. Well, you're a misogynist. She seems very nice, and she used to have a great haircut, and her husband's... uh, Her husband, actually, at one point was uh, Neil Drawley, who's going to be... Producing potentially was one of the candidates to produce a replacements record. So I'll say say not crap there. Uh, The Beatles. And well, not crap. You, you'd be surprised. I think we had when we had Steve Albini on, he crapped the Beatles. So that's well, why, of course, that's Steve why, said that. Yeah, that's know. why. That's why I keep it in because you never know. We had Larry Demore. Do you know the band um, Pegboy? Larry, Pegboy. You know Pegboy. He crapped the Ramones, and he's in a punk rock band. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, the Beatles. I, I mean, I uh, I would still put them below the. You know, I'm a Stones guy. I think and, and a Dylan guy before I'm a Beatles person, but right. you know, it, it's kind of hard to. It's kind of hard to go all Albini on them and say they they're crap. So. I don't think anybody else has crapped the Beatles except Al, uh, except no Al- no. You know who has sure? Wes no. Oshowski from uh, the director of the Lemmy documentary. He's oh, a guy. Oh yeah, he, you're he, right. he crapped you're the right. Beatles too. That bastard. You're right. He's like yeah. sick of it. You know, it's like I don't need to see that again. There's that great uh, Onion article. Or, no, it's a Vice article. I think. You know, stop. Shut your goddamn mouth about how the Beatles yeah. suck. Or yeah. <laughs> Velvet Underground. Not crap. Lou Reed solo. Not crap. <laughs> that usually trips everyone. Well, I was just thinking about that weird El- Edgar Allan Poe record with Metallica or whatever the hell was going on there, or those two, the Metallica record oh. and the Edgar Allan Poe All record. Right. Not a not a real strong finish for Lou, but he gets points for the early work. I am the table. <laughs> uh, Sonic Youth. Not crap. Jethro Tull. Crap. Fleetwood Mac. Are we talking Peter Green? Oh, Mac or... see, the man knows that, his everybody stuff. Everybody says that. That's that's a, he's a music critic. The, definitely. No, that's the the Peter Green Fleet, Peter Green Fleetwood Mac is great. Bob Welch Fleetwood Mac is okay. Later Fleetwood Mac. I mean, you can't deny it. It's good. But uh, and then there, of course, there's like the later version with Billy Burnett and like you know whatever. That the uh, <laughs> so I don't know. His... I guess there's many there's many Macs to choose from. But I'll go with the with the uh, Peter Green one and say it's not crap. Right? Man knows his Mac. But no matter what, you're sick of it all, right? <laughs> Sick of, well, it, I'm sick of it, it all. Crap, not crap. It's great still. It really holds up, actually, and, and it's kind of underrated as far as that kind of uh, British blues stuff. So I'll say not crap there. All right, sick of it all. <laughs>
No, you don't know that. Band? Oh, sorry. I thought I thought you said I was sick of it all. No, yes, uh, I did. Crap. But now I've changed my uh, crocus. <laughs> crap. Uh. <laughs> you know, like metal rendezvous. Uh, I'm never never was a big metal guy. Somehow that is, you know, I escaped that, or it escaped me one way or the other. You're 41, and I'm the same age as you. So, did what you grow up listening to? You went straight from like uh, punk to Nirvana, and no, you know, the weird thing was, I grew up in in California. There was like all these radio was really kicking at the time. KRLA was just this big station, and it was like a weird time warp because at the time it was like Wolfman Jack was on the air and Real Don Steele and all these oldies DJ that they brought back, you know, that who had been on the station in the 60s, and this was in the 80s. And I, I literally, like, the first radio station I remember being my station that I would call and request things was KRLA. So I would, like, call Wolfman Jack, and he would play requests for me. You know, oh, really? <laughs> you yeah, talked to bizarre. Wolfman Jack? But uh, I got lucky, you know, when I was a kid, I was in... My neighbor, Joe Rojo, wherever you are, sir, I, I owe him because I could have gotten into docking or crookers or quiet ride or anything at that yeah. time, but he just, for random reasons, was big into Cheap Trick, and so uh, I wanted to be like him. So the first record I bought was Next Position, Please, and I became a lifelong Cheap Trick fan, so I guess that spared me from a there fake There you go. You, uh, got, you definitely got spared thing. because those do- docking and all that false metal is horrible. Crocus, uh, yeah, that's, you know, Crocus, yeah. Crocus tried to be like ACDC for like an album. They were probably okay, whatever, for a second. Television, yeah. television. Not crap, but not as, I don't like them as much as most people, I think. Right, you think people go crazy gaga over them and it's not warranted? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, yeah, I mean, if, if it comes down to like television or Heartbreakers or something from that New York scene, you know, I'm a Heartbreakers guy every time. Gang of Four. Uh, well, the parts that are not crap are not crap. I think after a certain point, there's some stuff that gets a little dodgy, as, as some of those punk bands did going on into the 80s, but well, uh, this, mostly not crap. That's a great uh, explanation of the next band, The Clash. Uh, well, not crap. I, you know, I think I, I actually like the second record the best and the American version of the first record with all the singles and stuff. So, I mean, if, if it was just those two things, it would be enough to, to keep them in the not crap category. What's the second record? Sandinista? Yeah, no, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, oh, Christ. London uh, Calling? Give him enough rope. Combat Rock. Give him uh, enough no, rope. No, no. Combat Rock's later. It's like 1980. Give him enough rope. Give him enough rope. Give him enough rope, yeah. And the, what's the first album? Just the Clash? Yeah, it's the Clash, yeah. And you don't like London Calling? No, I love London Calling. I love that. I'm just saying, like, uh, Sandinista, you know, is is, uh, is a bit much, and I'm not super crazy about the, the last record, but... You know, they're 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 uh they're B side stuff and then that live record they put out in ninety nine is great too and I love I love actually some of Joe Strummer's solo stuff. So yeah, obviously they're oh, they're not crap. Yeah, great. I'm I'm digging the Mescalero stuff. Some even though I hate like the world music thing, I I kinda like some of that Mescalero's things going up. Pat, yeah, what? and I used to, I saw him, you know, several times at the end and uh and uh and it was great, you know, kinda mixing the stuff that came really came alive. Pat, in, what's in the name of the what's the first uh, clash album and the first song on is Magnificent Seven, right? What? <laughs> the Magnificent Seven. The first Clash record? What? No, that's what? not on the... No, no. that, that song... Jones. Oh, that song fucking is like some disco bullshit. It blows. What are you talking about? What, rock, what record are you talking about? talking about whiskey. I don't know. I'm fucking drunk. <laughs> <laughs> are you talking about This Is Radio Clash? No. I, that's okay. That song's fine. I'm talking about The Magnificent Seven. Yes, that's on Sandinista. <laughs> yeah, that song no, I'm sucks. I, I, you know, I think... Give enough rope. I, it, that's that's the underrated one, definitely. And you know the two, like I say, the 
the uh, U.S. version of the first record. That's it's pretty great too. That's that's and and you know London Collins great too. But uh, I think that that uh, you get so much press. I think people need to show a little love for for Give Him Enough Rope. Right, King Crimson. Mm, not very well. Crap, not my thing. King Missile. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's some not crap there. Again, not not totally my my cup of meat. King Diamond. <laughs> Are we going through all the kings? That's yet? right. <laughs> uh, yeah, not, I'll say not crap. All right, uh, Neil Diamond. <laughs> Well, are we talking uh, hot August night period, or well, you're uh, saying the you worst bring song? Me flowers. You're saying this, you I, know. I, I, I saw Neil Diamond one time. He was playing a, a show, and he was he, he did this five minute preamble about how when he was growing up, he loved this Gibson guitar, and now Gibson has made a custom Neil Diamond model. I, I swear to God, he did <laughs> talked about this guitar and his custom signature model for five minutes. He strapped it on, literally played two chords from Cherry Cherry, and then took it off and gave it to a roadie. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not a ringing endorsement for your instrument, pal. This is, this is con- contractual obligation to Norland Company. <laughs> That's what it seemed like. The world. They come. They come. Listen, uh, well, first of all, uh, you know, uh, it's weird that you say that Neil Diamond had the worst song ever because by default, like, Neil Diamond's like a likable guy. I don't know. I don't see him writing the worst song in history. Well, that's just a weird, weird song. I actually like some of Neil Diamond in the uh, you know things early on. Certainly, the songs he wrote for the Monkees and various other people. But uh, you know, he was. Uh, I like him in. Uh, I like him in the Last Waltz, where he's just like shoehorned in that whole thing, and he's <laughs> he, he looks like he's going to sell you a car. He's wearing like the tinted glasses and the two piece suit. It's funny. <laughs> that's great. D.D. King. <laughs> You're an ass. Was that was that BB King or or DD King? DD King. Oh God. Um, well, respect to the dead. I'm going to say he was a, a pioneer wow. in rap uh, <laughs> and and rap rock, and people don't recognize that. So, uh, All right, BB King. Oh, BB King. Oh, not crap. Ben E King. <laughs> Benny King. Oh yeah, no, Benny King's not crap. Elvis. The king. Mostly, mostly not crap. Let's say uh, pre-army, not crap. Uh, movie <laughs> years, crap. Post-army, not bad. De La Soul. Not crap. Not crap. Uh, Ice Cube. Not crap. Sebado. <laughs> yeah, it's not my favorite thing, but uh, he gets he gets the, he gets the dinosaur credit, right. extra points. So okay. I'll say not crap. Joe Walsh. <laughs> um, uh. I say James Gang not crap, Joe Walsh some crap, some not crap. Eagles Joe Walsh crap. Right. So Joe Walsh solo, you're crapping. Uh, Joe Walsh solo without James Gang or Eagles, just by himself. Uh, Rocky Mountain. Hey, Lane. I mean you know, <laughs> not as good as not as good as the James Gang, so it's going to pale in comparison, but better than the Eagles. So it's sort of like right in the middle there. Mm, interesting. Okay, uh, Misfits. I'm oh, not crap. Pretenders. The original lineup, not crap. After that, it gets a little dodgy. Rush. Mm, boy, <laughs> just makes me think of all the the band guys in my high school wearing Rush t-shirts. <laughs> guys. They love that. I never understood that, but I, I, I I'll, I'll respect it. But I'll say respectfully, crap. <laughs> yes, I'm with you. Crap. Rush is crap. Thank you. That's crap, not crap. With Bob Woo! here. Yeah. The book is called Trouble Boys. Yeah. If you go to replacementsbook.com, you will be able to purchase it. Uh, Bob, is there any uh, other place we can go to find your works? Is there anything you'd like to plug? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm at Twitter at Bob Mayer, and uh, be, you know, I put out a lot of replacement stuff, some cool things. Replacements book will get you there, both to buy the book and for any events I have coming up. I should be out uh, your neck of the woods sometime early May. Look us I think, up. Uh, lined up all the details, but we'll be in New York, New Jersey, Boston, Philly, and uh, and be doing events throughout the year. I did a couple, and one here in Memphis went to Minneapolis, and it was it was a zoo. We did about 300 people and sold out a book. So, you know, I've got some things that I show and play during these events, so it's more than me just reading. So, yeah, if you go to oh, replacementsbook.com, nice. cool. you'll be able to see uh, where I'm coming through and also get the book and, and, uh, and follow <laughs> what's, we, what's new about it. Can we do like a hootenanny thing where I do the do the book speech and you watch my kids like we all swear <laughs> yeah, well, that'll work out I, hey less work for me <laughs> thank you so much bob really appreciate you calling in uh great insight by the book uh the book is called trouble boys and uh god damn it if you don't read it and you're a replacements fan you're an idiot basically right. I, I can't disagree with that so. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks guys thanks for having me really thanks, appreciate bob. it man thanks bob there's bob right. all right take care all right we'll That's be good. back after this there's bob here <laughs> Holy shit. Great.
yeah. Let's all go ham on that bass part. That's hungry, then. Yeah, we're back live from the barrage here on Radio Nope. Yeah. Thank you, Bob Mayer, for calling in uh, author of the replacement book, Trouble Boys. He was which, great. Yeah, it was great. Good job. Yeah, good for you, Bob. Bob was excellent. Uh, very forthcoming. Good man. We like that. Uh, good job, Bob. Thank he you was for great. calling in. Uh, excellent. Thank you, for Pat, for getting that guest. Thank you, Tommy Rockstar. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, what are we doing now? We're doing a little news? The news. Uh, a little news there. Uh. Non-breaking news. It is breaking. Tommy Rockstar. <laughs> breaking news. Breaking news. Thank you, Mr. Breaking. King. Mr. King, of course, being uh, blowing up. He's totally famous. Tommy, what do you have? To, what's in the news? A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff All in right. the news. All right. <laughs> Let's get right into I, it. How are you feeling, Tommy? You seem like you're in a good mood today. Yeah, I feel good. I feel good. 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 Yeah, last week, I uh, I was going to call the ambulance. <laughs> last week, I was not doing so well. Don't worry. We got a copy here. Rich is ready to take it. I dialed 9-1. <laughs> I was going to call the ambulance. <laughs> Wham. <laughs> all I know is it's spring. It's a beautiful day out today. We should all be feeling better about ourselves. Thank it's going to yes. snow this weekend. Oh, fuck off with that. Yeah. I put my snow shovel up sorry, here. I don't mean to be away. negative. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, the legendary Christian hair metal band Striper's frontman Michael Sweet would, Ted like, Cruz. would like the world to know that he is not Ted Cruz. <laughs> yeah. This after... Uh, <laughs> that was my first question in the Ryan game. God damn it. <laughs> was it? True or false? Oh. This pu- after publishing a series of tweets uh, which were published recently online. The theory that based on the He actually had felt... That he had to respond to that? It, yeah, well, oh it's the only God. claim to fame he's got. He's a presidential well, candidate. <laughs> the, I'm not the singer the only, of Striper. It's the only chance he had to the, say something. The theory that the, uh, the theory that based on the uncanny resemblance, the Christian heavy metal musician and the religious Republican presidential candidate yes, they do look alike. might in fact be one and the same, started gaining traction this week after uh, author Michael Bloris noted a similarity between the two, stating on Twitter, quote, I'm not saying... Ted Cruz might be the lead singer of Striper. I'm saying he's definitely the lead singer of Striper. <laughs> Michael Sweet responded by telling Billboard magazine in an interview, quote, the whole Michael Sweet-Ted Cruz comparison came as a surprise to me. I don't see any resemblance. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> but I'm certainly laughing. <laughs> as he removes his suit and unveils the Striper <laughs> clothes. Uh, but I, no, this is uh, Michael Sweet saying that. Uh, but I'm certainly laughing the whole time going, this is going to the public, and I'm excited to be the number one trending story on Facebook. Uh, Sweet added, I do hope that Ted is a Striper fan and that he comes out to the show this year to a show on tour. (laughs) This guy milking it for all it's worth. Adding, maybe I'll have to uh, bring him up on stage to do a whole song. (laughs) (laughs) Striper, of course, uh, was a Christian rock band when we were growing up, like uh, among the other hair hair metal bands. And they had songs like To Hell with the Devil and stuff. What if you could have been like shoehorned in like gigs into that article too? It was like, I really hope Ted Cruz comes and sees us at Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not Ted Cruz, but if anyone wants to come see us at uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan this weekend at uh, At the Pork Fest, Chucky's, we'll we'll be opening up for Enough is Enough. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great band. Stop it. It's not a great band. I love those guys. Enough's enough. It's a great band. What is Led Zeppelin? The, the, The. <laughs> I'll tell you, Robin. You know who I love? I love the Synops enough. <laughs> Chips enough coming out next week. <laughs> well, anyway, Mr. I gotta Cruz. say, I like the bass drum sound. At least someone mic'd the bass drum semi properly. Good harmonies going on over there. I like that. <laughs> we'll be opening up for Nelson. <laughs> Mr. Cruz has yet to comment on the situation to TRNM, but we'll keep you posted as details develop. Bernie Sanders playing rhythm guitar for ACDC. <laughs> 
Striper's not allowed to use tritones because it's the devil's interval. <laughs> <laughs> Striper's first album named Isaiah 53.5. Jesus. Hell with the devil! Isaiah 53.5 is my password. <laughs> use a capital, too. In other celebrity news, <laughs> outtakes from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Guy from Striper's got a needle in his arm. He wakes up and then he's like, "Holy shit, I'm in the news!" Oh man, I'm Ted Cruz. Let's milk this. <laughs> the, the and that's what's in the cruise. <laughs> the actor who plays <laughs> the actor who plays Chum Lee on the TV reality show Pawn Stars <laughs> has been arrested on gun and drug possession oh, charges. Oh yeah, this guy's a real piece of shit. Yeah. After you know, all, the huh? Onion had a great article. Like guy who like steals people's money at pawn shop turns out to be not the greatest guy <laughs> or whatever it was like oh wow the the guy who's who's pawning your belongings it turns out to be a piece of shit who, I was, who would have I was known? surprised because chum leo has seemed very well thought out and reliable <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he does know two things he knows sneakers and yep. pinball machines that's right i was watching porn stars last night while i was a uh, jay-oing on the couch <laughs> this after las vegas police raided his home while uh investigating him on allegedly Alleged sexual assault charges last week. What? Yeah, he's right, causing guy. trouble. Oh, Douche really? I thought it was just like drugs. Las Vegas Metro PD tells TRNN that law officers showed up at the Star's home law last Wednesday. officers! <laughs> Star's home last Wednesday afternoon with a search warrant in connection with a sexual assault case. TRNN has been informed that Chumley is the suspect in that case. Chumley. Uh, law enforcement sources tell YRN. I'm sorry, <laughs> typo. TRN. It's like a bad guy in a James Bond movie. It's like Street Fighter. That <laughs> cops found marijuana, meth, and at least one weapon <laughs> in their search. <laughs> oh, using, oh God. using Chum Lee, uh, a bold move. <laughs> Cop. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was funny or if I'm just delirious. <laughs> I need a little bit of column A, column B. Cops say they found marijuana, meth, and at least one weapon during their search of the portly pawn peddler's Wait, you're home. You're telling me co cops found marijuana in an apartment in Las Vegas? They did. Come on. But marijuana, meth, and at least one weapon during their search of the portly pawn peddler's home. It's a sword I bought off some dude, like, from the 1800s. Chum He's going to keep pushing that portly pawn peddler. <laughs> he's very proud of that. Chum Third the portly, time he's dropped it. The it's the triple portly alliteration. <laughs> it's a bar <laughs> in a <laughs> garage. They call, they call it, it a barrage. Chumley was... <laughs> <laughs> Chumley was taken into custody and booked uh, for drug and weapons possessions while the sexual assault charges are still under investigation. <laughs> Chumley. Let's see, turn the page. <clears throat> come, oh, oh, come in. Knock on the door. Knock on the door right now. Yay! Hey. He's ha he has a Hello Kitty lunch bag and he's ready to go. Hello, Just when Pat thought the show was wrapping up and he was ready to go home and sleep in his bed because he has the flu, you show up and ruin everything. <laughs> Who's sick? Hello, Mario. What's up, Mario? Hello, gentlemen of the barrage. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the middle of the news, by the way. Already? Yeah, man. Where you oh been? Oh, my God. I got a text message Listen, while I'm driving. Tommy, you want to kill me? Pat's sick. We got to wrap this up quick. Pat, I didn't see your van. I thought you were gone. Are you all right? I have my car. I figured we were wow. down a man. You'd be here by 9 p.m. It's the wife's birthday. I'm yeah. lucky I'm here at all. Happy uh, a birthday, Elaine. I know too. it's her birthday. I gave her a present before. I bet you did. Yes, that's right, my friend. <laughs> I caught you upstate. Me and Ryan were antiquing, and the next thing I know, my wife and John are canoodling. <laughs> hey, Mario, why don't you read this next story? Oh, really? Yeah, Mario did it. It's the top of the story. Here's the news with Mario Asaro. At the top. 
the first one. Dateline flushing. Florida a woman fighting to keep trained alligator as pet. Oh, I, I saw this. A Florida Isn't this woman. Every story. A Florida woman said state officials are forcing her to give up her beloved pet alligator, a gentle giant named Rambo, who, according <laughs> to the woman, is potty trained, right. understands sign language, and loves to dress up in. Costumes, <laughs> all because he's. Are you selling popcorn at the fair? All because this this galvanizing gator has grown too big. <laughs> you should make commercials. He's gonna end chop every sentence like that when he gets pulled over. He's like, "I'm sorry, I don't have my driver's license." I swear, officer, I wasn't. Speaking. <laughs> all of the above. Mary, just read it normal. He's like my son. He's my family, Rambo's owner, Mary Thorne, told TRNN this week. He's not a normal gator. He's never been a normal gator. <laughs> That's what they say about me. <laughs> the Lakeland woman said a recent growth spurt put a 15-year-old Rambo all over six feet long, and Florida fish and wildlife officials require gators that big to live on properties with at least two and a half acres of open space. But Thorne doesn't have that extra land, so Rambo, an indoor gator who rarely goes outside, <laughs> will need to start shopping for a new home. Would you say he's a master gator? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Angry Gland on the Champa. Thorne got Rambo 11 years ago when she adapted a pack of five gators who were kept in a cramped tank. This is bullshit. Rambo is a lone wolf. He, he, he runs through the woods <laughs> killing Brian Dennehy all by himself. He doesn't run with a pack. Well, I guess he's the last one left. Uh, they... All I know is I sent a picture. Ryan's like, can you make a uh, Bartolo Stallone uh, <laughs> picture for me? And I did, and he hasn't used it yet, and now I'm dying every time to use Bartolo Stallone. What did you need that for? Uh, that's the name of my fantasy baseball team. Oh, you bastard. <laughs> Bartolo I was actually hoping you'd put Bartolo Colon's head on Rocky Balboa's <laughs> boxing shirtless body. There's a lot of levels to yeah. Bartolo Stallone. But, yeah, that's uh, I needed it for that. <laughs> and that's all the news on the reptilian front. Now what? back to Tommy Rockstar. <laughs> Actually, can I just post that... Uh can I post that uh, text conversation that we had? Is that okay with you? I don't give a shit. All right, good. So just all right. One last story here. This is a kind of a local story. Uh <laughs> local story with Tommy Rockstar. Also, <laughs> also a national one. This is pretty much the make Pat laugh knob. <laughs> The convenience store uh, store chain. <laughs> the convenience store chain Seven Eleven has announced a limited time promotion offering a cherry ice flavored Slurpee donut. Mm. The pastry is uh, not served. Ninety nine percenters have to get behind me. Chain yourselves. One line. Chain We're yourselves to host this display cases all across America. <laughs> we can make a difference. The pastry is not served frozen, but does have pink speckles throughout the cake. Speckles. <laughs> Red frosting and sugar crystals on top of what is meant to simulate a wild cherry Slurpee. The uh, the suggested price is ninety nine cents, though it could cost more in other markets. There is not, to TRNN's knowledge, a wild cherry-flavored coffee to go along with the Slurpee. Check the prices, like, you know, if you go to a different store. <laughs> just be sure to... But anything can happen in this, the chain's 50th anniversary year. Previous 7-Eleven promotions allowed customers to fill... <laughs> anything can happen. <laughs> pretty sure that's yeah. tightly controlled from corporate. Yeah, it might be a dollar thirteen in Chicago. Be careful. <laughs> Previous 7-Eleven promotions allowed customers to fill any sufficiently narrow container with Slurpees up to 55 gallons of coffee. <laughs> So you'd be like bringing like a canteen or a, a sock 
You can just fill it with Slurpee. Pretty much. Done. Oh, and one last thing. That's the news. Oh, really? That's it? Yeah, four stories, baby. Four stories Wait, seven years ago. You didn't cover uh, the Donald Trump guy that uh, uh, allows you to punch him for $5. I didn't what? hear about this. What's yeah, this? Yeah, there's a guy in the city. Breaking news! <laughs> there's an artist doing an installment in the city that uh, he's on the street and uh, he's got a stack of cardboard boxes that says Trump Tower next to him. Right. And for $5, you can punch him. Wow. I, I will love t- punching modern <laughs> artists. And for $200, you could pee on his leg. I will tell you oh. one thing. I, I walk past Trump Tower, or I used to anyway, every day past work. So, uh, and I, I'm sure I've said this before. In the wintertime, uh, there's ice and snow. Sure. And instead of shoveling it, the people at the Trump Tower just put, like, uh, what do you call it, caution tape around it? Uh huh. Like, this man cannot fucking shovel his own house. Snow and there's no snow and ice. He can't shovel the snow. He doesn't shovel snow. He's doing Donald Trump hands right now. His by the way, people, believe me, will have the best snow. And believe me, I will have the snow. And when the <laughs> snow the comes, guy. believe me, we will make the snow. <laughs> this motherfucker can't shovel his own walk in in a building where he the people pay. To, do I have to convince my own audience that Donald Trump's ass? No, I don't. No, thank they you. Get it. They get it. Done. Amen. No need to go any further. Mary, you got anything before we go to the game? I do. I have plenty to talk about. I was. I have a game, and believe me, week. when I'm president, Tommy Rockstar's game will be gone, and we will have the best <laughs> game. And I'm telling you, and make the Canadians pay our for it. Our game will, our game will be the best, and we will have games. We will have games all day. Believe me, I guarantee you that. Let the games begin. So sorry I'm late. I mean, it was hard to get away when your wife's like, "Oh, it's your birthday." Oh, honey, I've got to go. That's to the, the show, tomorrow. everybody. Can you turn the mic towards you, please? This way? Yeah. Yeah, like speak into it. You know, speak into the a, mic. Not that big of a mystery. I'm not I'm new to this radio business. <laughs> it's only show one fifty four. Nine. So she got home a little tipsy. She didn't even notice that I forced Kevin to clean the house. You got a blowjob, didn't you? No, there's no blowjobs. That's the other way around. I have to blow myself or <laughs> no. something. You sucked her dick? <laughs> oh, easy. It's easy. Not, oh. It's not the other way around. Uh, Ryan, you know, the sleeping giant. I have a mother-in-law whose birthday is on the 16th. My daughter on the 17th. My wife on the 18th. It's like birthday rama at, at, in March over there. You have there. coupons for all that? <sighs> no, I have to pay full price. We're Actually, all... Erica was by your drove by your mother-in-law's house yesterday and saw you going the other way. She saw you driving by. She what honked, was, but you never saw her. What was her. she doing there? She was coming back from Toys R Us, getting your daughter a fucking present, B. Really? Yeah. Are your kids coming to the bowling party tomorrow? Yeah. Guess bowling taking party them. presents. Who this cares? Really it's a kid's birthday. Yeah, it's a Who kid's cares party. about kids? Oh, I didn't know you were on the list. I was being quiet about the whole thing. Oh, yeah. I'm going. <laughs> well, obviously, I'm not on it. Good. Look, I'm just it's watching. all top secret when you get to these birthday parties. I'm Good. just watching Pat I, suffer I, in I, silence. I, I, struck, I struck your child this, this, on, uh, this week. What? I struck uh, Mario's child. I struck, I struck the boy. Hey, Mario, what happened? With the hand or with the car? That's okay. We were playing basketball. The kid threw two elbows into me. I gave him a shot in the nice shoulder. Time. He never threw an elbow again after that, I'll tell you that. There you go. Wait, so what happened? You guys went fishing or camping or archery? What happened here? We were doing it all. We were schwitzing. <laughs> we went schwitzing. Yeah. I have paid Ryan back his uh, soundboard money in drips and drabs. I bought him smoking paraphernalia. I paid for his gambling fees and... 
This was Nick, Thursday and Friday. Nicholas I got Diamond. horribly sick on Saturday and Sunday. I was at home in bed. Yeah, that was hard. You were uh, you you partied hard, my friend. But I did you enjoy punching hard. your punching your son. I did enjoy <laughs> I did enjoy having your son walk in on us as I was uh, preparing to sodomize you. Here, here's the deal. Wait, when did you get sick? I don't remember this. Uh, I'm lying in the, I'm lying in bed, right, and uh, I'm getting sick. Mario jumps up into the bed. He jumps on top of me. Wake up! Come on! It's time to go. Let's you, had, party. you wanted to shoot the rifle, right? So he's jumping up on top. So then he starts. He gets behind me in, in a spooning kind of a position, and he starts, you know, thrusting into my anus. <laughs> he's also using his hands. He's grabbing my tuchus. I'm like, I, I, I just, this is how I woke up. I was asleep. <laughs> my son, it. who I didn't even look up, and someone else walks into the room. My daughter, your daughter, and my son <laughs> walk into the room, open the door. Mario goes. Close the door. Get out of here. We're snoodling. Get out of here. <laughs> so now this is something that my will probably be in like the replacements book of my son's story of his life of what, how he grew up and his dad with the gay sex with Mario. He's going to be a great novelist Listen, someday. This kid in uh, the uh, in the um, sauna. I was privy to both of your asses, young uh, young Ryan and young John. Mm -hmm. And I'll have to say, you're more of a washboard ass, John. Well, right. Ryan still has a little bit of a nice little... Uh, I got a nice round ass, I got to say. <laughs> There's not many Irishmen that can... that can. Uh, uh, Do you think I sit around thinking about my ass, my flat Irish ass? I have personality, my friend. And well, you should you be could... honored that I'm still uh, able to get myself into your room. Whatever. Ryan still, still wears his underwear in the Listen, spits. they say personality goes a long way, but a round ass, that goes a long way. <laughs> and uh, Ryan's and doing hot yoga or something. Yeah, no, I haven't exercised. I'm the king of the dad bods. That's what they uh, That's what they call it now. You are pretty svelte. Join the club, brother. I shall Ryan. turn my attention to you next year, Ryan. All right, I'm on. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. It. Just lock the door before you snoodle me. Because <laughs> I don't want my daughter's... Uh, Scarred for life. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, uh, John's son's eyes were popping out of his head, but John was pretty shocked as well. I mean, it was, uh, you never know where I'm going to be next. Uh, all I know is that I have a personal videographer. I don't have Facebook. I'm, if I'm not home in my computer, I have no connection to electronic media. So when I get home, there are movies about me. Mario shoots a gun. Mario shoot, uh, fires an arrow. What else did I do? My videographer. My you, ro you rolled dice? <laughs> Mario dice. rolls dice. Mario shoots an arrow. Mario goes down a water slide. Mario uh, parks a car. That was the one. Mario, what's up me. with the parking in that spot? What was going on with that? What the fuck? Here's Why the is the whole internet's turned against me? Because you have no shame. No, you have no cheering you on. You have no regard for anyone else but yourself. Uh, BR, BR puts out a, a thesis on... Being oblivious over being arrogant, and he's—I <laughs> can then, fight arrogance, but oblivious, I am—I am unable to fight oblivion. That's right, you can't fight me, Br. I don't know if I'm that oblivious. Am I oblivious? By the way, Mikey Big well, Time is listen, in the house. Holy I understand what saying. Oh, you know, uh, Mikey Big Time looking like a newsboy who just delivered the paper <laughs> from 1930. Thank you, Mikey. Say, Good Mike. to see. You know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's a thing with you that you do not other people's feelings or. Or other people's, you know, needs, concerns. It does not affect you at all, and that's that's a sign of a. Yeah, it's a sociopath. Excuse me. I am all about people's feelings. I am all about serving the common good. I've dedicated my life to it. Is that why you parked across two parking spaces when you could have easily pulled in one? 
I didn't one, even know you did it. I'm the one who's driving everybody around and making sure everybody makes their appointments and being like the dead father there. I'm the one who's waking you up to go shoot your rifle. You guys should be lucky you have him. Nobody and, asked you. Maybe I am oblivious to a point, but I don't believe in the rules that normal men follow. <laughs> I mean, people go through life like sheep. Come on. Do you think that that's... Look outside the lines. Parking, Look outside par- the white lines. Parking across two parking spots. Is your little rebellion? I had no idea. Look, there were like the parking lot. It was Sunday. The parking lot was empty, wasn't it, John? Well, John said in your defense. Well, there was yeah, no, there was there, there was plenty of spots. It wasn't like he took somebody's spot. And I'm dropping them off so that we could go pick up the ladies who had been drinking at the Irish Fest and get them back home and drop the kids off so they could go on the bumper cars or wherever they were going next. And look, I've got a lot on my plate. I can't be worried about trivial little things like parking. Well, listen, when a normal person a normal person pulls into a spot, you know, they just pull into it. But you, like, didn't care at all. It's weird. Like, you don't care. And also, I didn't mention this to you. While we were at the pool, we're, uh, you know, like, my stuff was on the table. And you put your backpack there and, like, a pair of, like, softball cleats, which you weren't even... I don't know why you even have them. I don't have cleats. Fell out onto my phone and drink. Like, it's, excuse me, I did not have cleats. I didn't mention it. Oh, I, I yelled at Mario this weekend. He too. keeps his like shoes, shoes in a bag. He puts his flip flops. Oh no, never put your shoes on a dining room table. table. Oh, it's a sign of love and endearment, guys. It's Come first on, of all, it's bad luck. You guys go to sleep. Now you're being a sociopath. You guys go to sleep, <laughs> and I take my butt and I rub it all over the table. I like, I got. Ooh, oh God, itchy action. Hey, what's the saying that Pat likes to say? Let's get on with the game. There is a game. All right. So Mikey's going to play the game, right, right. Mikey? Where are you, Mike? <laughs> you, were, you were in the Times. You know that, Mikey, big time? Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you got, made the you paper. You got mentioned. You going to play with us, or you going to just you sit with, there? And wasabi. I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad. Wasabi and me. And, yeah. uh, Mario, why don't you keep score for me? Could, could you do that Hand for me? Hand me a pen and paper. Oh, I can't find own. Dadbot. I've been sitting out here on YouTube the whole time looking for Joey Summers' video. I'll get something to write. John, let's play the game. Let's All right. Let's play, play the Ryan game. the game. Who's ready to play the game? Tommy Roxas ready to play the game. And now, from a barrage in Queens, New York, it's time to play the Ryan game. Somebody Here call we Fudd. Expose these smart asses for the dumbasses they really are. Here's your host, Ryan Collison. Let's move on with the game. All right, Ryan, what's in the game today? <laughs> Listen, I had to start drinking early. You drink some fucking whiskey with me right now. It was a replacement show. Today? I didn't drink at all during St. Patrick's Day. So I was, I was hats I, off to Larry at 6 o'clock. <laughs> Last time I drank was in the mountains. You want right. some of this Maker's Mark? I don't know if it's any good. All right, I'm ready to keep score. Right, Mario, yeah, listen, we're almost out of whiskey, so next time, next Friday, somebody bring a bottle. We chip in. You got it. All right. Chip in. <laughs> chip in. <laughs> chip in. Buck up. I got a real easy game tonight. Buck up. Buck up. Oh, uh, and, here's how uh, it works. I'm going to say the name of a fictional band, and you're going to tell me what movie or television show that band appeared in. All right, that makes okay, sense. Right. Makes sense. Yep. What's sure. happening? Shit. All right, here's the first one. The Hong Kong Cavaliers. Hong Kong Fui. No. TV shows and movies? Yeah. Uh-huh. This one's a movie. The Hong Kong Cavaliers. From China with Love. I'm starting with a real hard Warriors. one here. This is a hard one. This is from the 80s. Meatballs. 
Pink Panther. Nope, nope, nope. Chat box, anybody? The Last Dragon. Anybody. Somebody help me. Bueller. Bueller. Chat box is, has checked out, I think. <laughs> Buckaroo Banza. That's it. You, who said that? Angry Gland. Uh, I don't know who that job. is. Am I giving him a point? Round. Angry yeah. Gland. Give Angry Gland a point. It's not hard at all. Of course it's not hard if you know the fucking answer. Buckaroo a bonsai and the Hong Kong Keep it coming, baby. All right, there we go. Angry Land has got a point. Timmy and the Lords of the Underworld. Of uh, fucking South Park. Yeah. Even though I don't like that show. Timmy! Lords of the Underworld. Speaking of fictitious bands, how was the interview with the Replacements guy? Give me a point. It was great. You should listen. Give me a point. I will. I did give you a point. How did it go, Pat? I'm talking to Pat. It went great. Yeah, let's talk about it later. When the show's off the air. Oh, all right. I just wanted to know. He was Sorry. good. Very good. Marvin and the Starlighters. Back to, uh, the, back future. to the future. Yeah, Pat. Damn it. Who got it? Pat. I was right on you, Pat. I was right there. Bad Blake. Bad Blake. Movie or, t- or TV? Christmas story. Well, I'll let you try and get it first, and then I'll, I'll help you out. Hey, Pat. Marvin, you know that new sound you've been looking for? Well, listen to this. Bad Blake. Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. It's so racist. I don't be knowing nothing about no rock and roll music. I think I found that new sound you've been looking for. Right, Holy got- mackerel. It's a, it's a movie. It's a, a movie. Give us a hint. It's, uh, it's, it's a- horrible. It's a movie, and uh, the person who played Bad Blake won Best Actor that year. Holy shit. In what year? It's within the past 10 years. Best Actor, Bad Blake. <laughs> it's your cousin, Marvin it's Skrillex. Your cousin, Marvin Barry. <laughs> Marvin <Yeah>. Skrillex. <laughs> you know that new Wu-Tang album I bought? Skrilly. Skrilly. <laughs> How about the chat box? The chat box got nothing. The uh, Bad Blake. Martin Skrillex. Bad Blake, Bad Blake, anybody? <laughs> going once, going twice. Bad yes. Blake, Bad Blake. Crazy Heart. Exactly. Oh, that's the Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges movie. played the part. The Jeff, yeah. the Jeff Bridges vehicle. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like that movie. I thought that was a good movie. Yeah, it was great. I might have to uh, revisit that one. Yeah, so you could remember Bad Blake. <laughs> Steel Dragon. Oh. Oh. This is a terrible movie. Oh, uh, yeah, right. Um, uh, Rockstar. Give that. Um, Mikey Big Time guy. No, I got the movie. Right, you got the movie. You're right. But Bullshit. Give, no, I had it. I had it. Give All Mikey right. Big Time a little yeah, Mikey Big credit. Time, nice Extra job. Credit. Give it to Mikey. Mikey so Big who time gets, gets the point? Mikey I Big do. Time? No, I do. I got John, the movie. John gets the movie. The fuck is wrong with you assholes? I had it the whole time. You're fuck so, you, Mario. You're such a baby. I'm a baby. I got it right. Give John two points. All right. Drive Shaft. Drive shaft. You hitting on me? Drive shaft. Shaft. Wrong. You're an idiot. Drive shaft. I know this. Well, I'll the chat box. Fast and furious. Drive uh, shaft. No, bro. Mad Max. No, bro. It's a movie? I do like that guy that, that, guy, that guy that plays the flaming guitar, though. Drive shaft. Is it a movie? Give it's us a hint. Uh, not a movie. It's a TV show. Drive shaft. Go Speed Racer. No. <laughs> Saved by the Bell. Going once. TV Going show. twice. Drive Shaft. I know this. Is from the TV show. Wait. Welcome right. back, Carter. Yes. No. <laughs> I, um, I have it. I, got, I lost it. Auto Man. 
Auto man. Mannix. Manimals. Manimal. The correct answer. The correct answer is lost. Of course, the the, the fucking Scottish British little guy who dies. There was a there was a band in Love Shaft. Yeah. There was a rock and roll dude. The guy who you know the guy. Yeah. Oh. I had that man. I had it. The Hobbit. Dewey Cox. Walk hard. Yes. The hell was that? A movie I didn't even see, and I know the answer. Walk hard was a movie. It was like Jody. Tommy was like a Johnny Cash spoof of the Johnny Cash with John C. Riley. That was a good movie. Infant Sorrow. There's two answers. Oh shit! Either one will do. It's Russell's Brand's movie. Um, Either one will. Night at the Roxbury. No, it's uh, what the fuck was the name of that movie? Uh, get, get get him to the Greek. That'll do. Yeah. Yeah. That What's the other one? Oh, he was. In, oh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. You got it right. You need two points. Get, no, I give him one. Well, give him two points. No. Give him one point. Oh, come right. on. One and a half. <laughs> that half point could be big later on, Tommy. Yeah. I like yep. that we just make up rules as we go. <laughs> no. Scrantonicity. Scrantron. Scrantron. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, the office. Yes. Uh, Tommy. American office. Tron, bro. Behind, bro. Just sucks. Does Tommy have that half point or not? I disagree with that. We'll Zach attack. Uh, Save by the bell. bell. I got it. John got it. Come on. I got one for his change. No, you didn't. <laughs> Be faster. Big fun. Oh, shit. Uh, Heathers. Right. Yeah. Nice, John. You have too much free time on your hands. Oh, right. In the 80s, I had too much free time to watch Christian Slater movies. No, you're watching them now in the basement of Roxanne. <laughs> By the way, they just announced on Netflix that Heather's is going to be turned into a TV series on Netflix. Mario, you gave me like five points just now, right? I, you have five points total, John. You are running away with it, sir. Death Clock. Oh, oh Clockwork um, Orange. No, the the comic uh, Metapocalypse. Yes, John. Really? I never watched That's one it. episode. Right. <laughs> oh, I was tipping my tongue. Oh, by the way, um, I I need to uh, tell you our calendar. Speaking of meta Metapocalypse, Metalocalypse, <laughs> Metalocalypse, something like that. Um, we have the guy who's the animator from that coming in soon. What's his name? Well, I will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, my friend, what his name is. So the letter D. Uh, we have a, here's our schedule next week. Eric Bachman from fucking Arches of Love. Eric That's fucking right, Bachman baby. will be nice. It's Eric amazing. Bachman, amazing. Okay. He's coming in or he's calling? Coming in or he's calling in? Calling in on April Fool's Day. Uh, there's nothing scheduled yet. Working on that. Uh, the week after that, Justin Foley of the Austerity Program. Oh, uh, next week's April Fools. No, yeah. uh, no. two weeks. Two weeks. Weekend. Oh, April. You're talking April eighth. Listen, yeah. And you're going to do this, Captain, right? You're going to be of sound mind. This should be a fun show. What's the mystery here? The mystery is that in that afternoon, we shall be drinking heavily as the Mets take oh, their... I'm going to drink take water. Their part in the, uh, uh, take their place on the field. There. I'm going to show to do. I'm going to be drinking coffee. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, then what about April 16th? Or All right, 15th? so here we go. We had Bob Mayer today. We have uh, Eric Bachman next week. From Bachman Turner Overdrive? Uh, yes. April 4th. I mean, no. Mar uh, April first, yeah. we're work open. April eighth, April eighth, Justin Foley. Yep. April fifteenth, Des Bishop, famous Irish comedian, famous Irish comedian. Very famous. He's oh. huge, huge. Is he coming in or calling in? He's he's coming in. Nice. And he hates cigarettes. Mm. Oh, well, you got three weeks to quit. And uh, of course, uh, Chris Prynoski, who is the uh, animator of the show we just talked about. 
That's right. on the 22nd. Metapocalypse. Mm-hmm. So we are booked all the way through April. Look at that. Yeah. And more to come. Make more to come. Sweet. Yes. Soggy have irons on the fire. Soggy bottom boys. <laughs> oh, 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 brother, we're out there. Yeah. Band Christmas. John. Um, I wasn't even paying attention because I'm looking at the chat box. I'm still winning the game. Uh, Dobie's saying Bachman, Gentling, Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. And Bishop Tutu is coming, too. Because uh, right. Okazuka's on the chat box saying, Famous Irish Comedian, you mean Joel Frost Bono impression? Uh, <laughs> Hillary, friend of the, the show. F- the Kazuga. Folksman. The Folksman. Oh, Spinal Tap. No, I know it's the a, it's, a uh, it's what's his name's movie though. Uh, a Into Mighty Wind. Mic. Mighty Wind is yeah. Correct. Who got it? Christopher Sean. Guest movie of the Folksman. All right, can we just end this now? Shut There's up. no way we're gonna catch up. To end this. this. Just play for fun then. Autobahn. Oh, uh, Big Lebowski. Yeah, yeah good Pat. job, Pat. Those Pat nihilist the- Germans. Pat and Tommy are tied. Hold on, just waiting for the next page to load up. We don't need to do the monkeys, and we don't need to... How about the mosquitoes? Does anybody know that? There's Gilligan's a... Island. Wow! Oh, my God, John. You finally found you a game. son of a bitch. Bug music. Oh, my God. Wild Stallions. <laughs> it's Bill, Bill and Ted's Excellent, Excellent Adventure. <laughs> Who got it? Cat- Split it. Ty. Kathleen Turner Overdrive. Oh, shit. Kathleen Turner Overdrive? Which is my favorite name for it's a band It's like ever. a fucking Kevin Smith movie or some shit in that vein. Yeah. Uh, Give oh, it to Tommy. Oh, Fuck you, Dovey's in your socialist Australian utopia. <laughs> what is Dovey saying? Also known as Sonic Death Monkey. Mm. Oh, they changed so their name to Kathleen, Kathleen Turner Overdrive. Anybody? The fuck was this from? Uh, so. Chat box saying high fidelity. Right. That's Kyle in the chat box. Kyle gets a point. Job, Kyle. Kyle. I was trying to ask Rob about his boy Ward, where Kyle apparently was. <laughs> his boy Ward. <laughs> <laughs> He's like young Ward. <laughs> Mario had a boy Ward in the mountains of Argentina. That's right. It was in Greece, uh, Turkey, sir. It was in Turkey. Where I learned to schwitz with the best of them. <laughs> uh, the title, you have to guess the uh, band on this one. Uh, the title band of this movie uh, had hits such as uh, All You Need Is Cash and Can't Buy Me Lunch. The Ruddles. Right, Mario. Oh, nice Finally, show. I got a point. Get, what, what was the get back? Uh, Parody. <laughs> get up. Get up. It's like get off or something. Right? Get off. Uh, Dr. Funk's 100% natural good time family band solution. What a name. And there's uh, umlaut over the U and Funk. Oh, that's great. Mm. Dr. Funk's 100% natural good time family band solution. Is it a TV show? Yes, it's a TV show. Partridge Family. Funk is spelled F-U-N-K-E. Arrested Development. Right. I'm just kidding. Kazuga's got it. I cheated. Uh, uh, Kazuga, you got a point. Nice job, Kazuga. Mikey Big Time's playing solitaire over there in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey Big Time, call Fud. The Wonders. He's mad at me, man. He's mad at me too. Oh, the wonders! The wonders! Uh, that thing you do? Yes. Yeah, I was waiting for that one. I'm running out of room to keep your points, John. That thing you do is a great movie. I used to do the wonders merch. Not even. Give me kidding. a point, Mario. I did. 
I'm running out of room. Jesse and the Rippers. Oh, shit. Oh, I know this. Oh. oh, Full House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course you know Full House. You both for Hillary Clinton watch Full House. You're, a, you're not a socialist. Full House is on in my house you know it's like on a, eight times a day. You know it's on again. Oh, full man. House. You let yeah, your kids watch that crap? It's my wife's. It's, she relives her youth through it. Listen, I read a thing about in the, in the replacements book that reminded me of your boy today. Bob Stinson, when he was a young boy, would, uh, would uh, scream loud and try to act a fool in order to uh, uh, have the other boys act more of a fool and accept him. And this is what your boy does. He yells loud? My God, you're that far gone, huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he yells that loud. They're all loud. It was a loud house. Wow. Wow. They're wow. all yelling and making movies. You right now he's making, are blind he's making a movie happened. with a teddy bear, a frog, and a dragon. As I left, them. your I boy know. screamed out to all the girls after uh, uh, archery tag. He said, "Yo, Kev, you got beaten by a bunch of six sweet sixteen-year-old girls." And the, and the girls go, "So did you." <laughs> <laughs> Takes after his old man. Sexual chocolate coming to America. Yes, Tommy, Citizen Dick, uh, um, the Reality uh, Bites. Uh, yes, nope. no, uh, no, single, uh, single, fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> Tommy's catching up. <laughs> Tommy's catching up. Stillwater. Uh, uh, almost famous. Fuck! No! Stop it, Tommy! Oh, there goes your lead, buddy. Tommy is catching up. There's no way. He's got to be three behind me. I'm a Faith, 10. Faith plus one. Hmm. Hmm. It's going to be a TV show. Hmm. Faith, faith uh, um, Will and Grace. Nope. The Faith Hub <laughs> Experience. Nope. TV show, Faith plus one? Yep. Little House on the Prairie. Nope. Faith plus one. It's Three, two, one. Chat box. Uh, I haven't looked. No. They just say, "Wow, rock star South coming Park. from behind." Right. South, Kyle, South Park again. That. Yep. All right, give Kyle another point. Kyle. Yep. Sex Bob um. Sex Bob. Bob dash O M B. Sex Bob um. I bet the chat box uh, gets this. TV sucks. I don't watch TV. It's got to be TV because uh, it sucks. There's a movie. It's Scott Pilgrim? Scott Pilgrim, correct. Nice. Oh, I never saw that one. Who's that? Pat? Yep. Sadgasm. <laughs> I don't know, but that's great. Sad uh, brain gasm. candy. Oh, wow. Really, people? Sadgasm. I thought this was going to be an easy one. Spinal Tap. No. Sadgasm. Uh, I got nothing. Sadgasm. Sir. Yes. Are you interested in game shows or not? Sadgasm. And begin. Anybody got an answer? Three, two, God damn one. right. John with one point. <laughs> what? That's the Simpsons. Oh, Sadgasm. Whoa. What episode was that? Uh, it's in the Their Simpsons movie. Was, their hit song was Margarine. Uh, it was a parody of Bush's Glycerin. Uh, uh, Homer, Lenny, Carl, and Lou were the well, members. If you would have said the B sharps. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. M- Muppet, uh, Muppets. Muppet Show. Right. The Muppet Show. <laughs> Can I just isolate that? You try to say Muppets <laughs> right. four times. Right. And the uh, last one of the night uh, Figrin Don and the Modal Nodes. What? What? Figrin, Don, and the Modal Nodes. There's no uh, blue old blues brothers boys well, country. <laughs> Figurin Don and the Odal Nodes. M O D A L. Modal Nodes. Modal Nodes. I got nothing. 
movie? Kazuga's just screaming on the chat box. I don't want to say until people answer. All right, give it to Kazuga. What does he got? got? Star Wars. Star Wars. Is that a name for that band? Dobie's also getting us fingering Don, Kyle says. <laughs> That's what I thought immediately when he said it. Mario, let's get a tally. All right. Uh, in uh, last place, tied, is Mikey Big Time and Angry Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by uh, three-way tie between Kyle, Kasuga, and Mario. <laughs> After that, we have Pat with a big score of three. Tommy in second place with a score of six. And our winner tonight with a score of 12 correct answers. Oh, shit. I was never even close. Is your one, wow. your only, your master of ceremonies, John Houlihan. He loves to win the game. Pass, raise the challenge oh, there, buddy. Yeah. Congratulations. I feel the force. Running through me right now, coursing through your veins, coursing through my veins <laughs> and my penis. It's getting hard. I'm, I'm fucking. I'm completely engorged. Uh, <laughs> I got more games if you want. You got beat by a 16-year-old girl. Is it Kojak? And begin. Who is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Enjoy that free pass, ass <laughs> When I bend over, scream into my ass. What do I? Well, as the winner of the Ryan game, I feel it's my duty to uh, inform all of you that you're fired. And uh, everyone say the N-word at the same time. Thank you. <laughs> Suitable for framing, Tommy? Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Tommy Roxa. Thank you, Ryan Does Collison. anybody have anything to plug? This picture right here. You have anything to plug? Oh, my God. Suitable for framing. Wow. Mario has a picture of, the, of Baruch. Nam Tav or whatever that guy's by Fox Five. <laughs> He's a bagel guy. I have it. I have a caption and everything. I'm going to frame I mean, that it's one. Caption and frame. Oh, this is not for us to frame. We can't put it up here. Well, why not? This is not an frame insane frame. picture of uh, the news report from live from the Barrage. Thank you. That's everybody. great. Thank you, Bob Mir from uh, uh, Go Out and Buy Trouble Boys, the replacements book. Go to replacementsbook.com. It's the definitive replacements book. All the other ones suck. <laughs> Fuck those they books. Actually do. He doesn't want. I meant to ask him that. And I, I knew he wouldn't answer, but they suck. They're garbage. All right. Oh, and uh, listen next week to Preemptive Strike. Tree at seven a.m. Uh, where he will have a guest uh, DJ. And that oh, really? Will be, that will be me. No way. Yes. Your guest hosting Preemptive Strike. I am next week. Yes. Is that the show before our show? Right. Yes. Wow. How are you going? You're going to run over there and then come over here? I'm going to come flying over here as fast as I can. <laughs> wow. Oh, you got to pre record it. Yeah, I'm going to record it. It's already Very recorded, cool. actually. Really? You yeah. did it already? Yeah. An hour exactly? One hour. You're the man. Yep, I'm, nice. I'm done, Very man. Nice. I got a nice little overlap going on the songs. And what do you got? Some R&B stuff going yeah, on? Yeah, I'm going to be the playing some funk and some R&B. No association. Fucking yet. A, man. That's yeah. cool. And some soul. Yes, DJ. Yeah. Listen awesome. to it real loud. You're going to like it. It's a, all right, so next week we'll have Eric Bachman from Archers of Loaf. Before that, tune in to Ryan Collison's preemptive strike at 7 p.m. before we come on. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Mario. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Mikey Big Time. Thank you, Brian Musikoff, who has pulled the biggest rookie oh, St. Patrick's feel Day better, mistake Brian. in uh, class history. We love you, Ryan. <laughs> I mean, Brian. He, no, not really. he had such an upbeat picture before he started the night, right? <laughs> Getting did. ready to celebrate with my friends. He looked like he was at a wake. <laughs> 
<laughs> he had his Irish bartender suit on. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks for listening. God uh, bless. God bless us all. Well, it's no. eleven o'clock exactly. Exactly. Look at that. Wow. Well, now I have to play music for another half hour because this is the deal I made with Conan. Oh. Deal with the devil. You gotta do the movie. Yeah. Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, when would you get sick, Pat? You got time? Yeah. To Cause the light was on. 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 Cause the light was on.